Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hush hush mush mush, mula shmula. Furniture upstairs rearranged in all the wrong places. Your complexion is your protection. The language used by Curtis Sliwa is replete with spoonerisms, malaprops, and fractured phrases, and is not a reflection of the language that you should use in your normal conversations. It is Sliwanics, and a glossary of its words and definitions are posted on wabcradio.com. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Oh, we're here to pick up the pieces. Average white man. But before we go deep and we touch on things that nobody else in talk radio does, we have to almost um, explain to all of you that there are two layers here at WABC on the weekend. There is the entertainment part that we kick off starting at 12 midnight Saturdays to the break of dawn. uh, uh, And then naturally, we do likewise... As we are going from uh, Sunday, 12 midnight right now, to 6 o'clock in the morning to the break of dawn. That's 12 straight hours. Now, in that period of 12 hours, I'm jawboning about a lot of different issues. I don't have guests. I don't believe in guests. Guests just want to say what they want to say. And quite frankly, it bores me. It really does. I'd much rather talk to all of you who have a wealth of experiences that no guest in existence could tap on. And in this, the most intimate form of uh, broadcasting that has ever existed. And remember, I believe that uh, it was Marconi who created this in the terrestrial radio box, and many believe it was Tesla, the Serbian. But what we can now say declaratively is that we are reaching 38 states' parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and we're going right on down to Davy Jones's locker. And if you have the modern technology, which is not costly at all, you got that app, you can download it in your iPhone, smartphone, and guess what? You can hear it all over the world. Probably not in Antarctica. And uh, you can hear it in Australia. There are no squirrels in Australia. Are you aware of that? No squirrels in Antarctica. And I'm going to be doing a deep dive into why there are so few squirrels in Central Park and Prospect Park. This has been bothering John Katsimatidis, our owner and operator. Great talk show host in his own right. He actually uh, had me come on at the start of the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion. I think it was on Thursday. You know, I'm in the midst of doing the deep dive, cold busting, all those politicos who are making backroom deals, getting wine, dine, and pocket line by nefarious owners of properties, no-tell motels, holiday inns without the express, you know, protected by the LLCs. And what did John want to talk with me about? Squirrels. How come he and his daughter couldn't find squirrels to feed in Central Park last Sunday? And I have come up with a variety of answers to that question, which has become quite a dilemma for the Rocket J squirrels in our world, who, uh, if things keep going in the direction they are, will never be able to hook up with Bullwinkle Moose any longer. Oh, yeah, we're going to cut a whole segment just on that. What do you think? I'm stupid. This is job security. He tasked me with the responsibility because of our animal welfare program, as you know, which ends the week when uh, my wife, Nancy, the animal welfare expert, comes on and we discuss a whole wide range uh, of issues affecting the furry little creatures. And I got to come up with the answers or you never know. I may be out there looking to feed pigeons, uh, maybe uh, squirrels, if any of them remain, talking to myself or maybe to somebody else in a Dixie cup attached by string. So 
Yo, the man wants me to figure out why there are no squirrels in Central Park and Prospect Park. You're damn right. I drop everything. I get right down to the bottom of it. Hey, you know, there are many things in my life I haven't done well. Well, one thing is when I see somebody is obsessed with what the hell happened to the squirrels when I'm trying to feed them with my daughter. Hey, hey, hey. I get the impression that that's something I ought to come up with the answers, which which we will go into at length in the 2 o'clock hour. That's why you don't want to uh, go to sleep. In fact, you're going to be with me to the break of dawn. I have been drenched. I've been out in the streets. And, oh, I have some uh, video, real-life video that nobody else has. Of homeless people in and around the Roosevelt Hotel. Two women in particular from Peekskill. Which I will play later on as I do a breakdown and analogy of all the landlords who are stealing our tax dollars on this scam of asylum and migrants. And how our politicians, both Democrats and Republicans, yeah, they're getting wine, dine, and parking line by the tune of millions of dollars. And, um... I must thank my wife, Nancy, because this is the team of Sliwa and Sliwa. I hit the streets, I bust my shoes, and Nancy does the deep dive. As having worked in real estate, being an e-attorney, she knows how to peel the layers of an artichoke, an onion, and most importantly, LLCs, which are simply there to protect the owners and operators from being cold-busted. And that's what we do here at WABC. We're going to later on talk about the Watson Hotel, scam there. Stewart Hotel, scam there. Roosevelt Hotel, scam there. And, of course, the Milford Plaza, a.k.a. NY Row. Scams, rip-offs, millions of dollars that are coming out of our pockets. And they're going to a number of nefarious characters who always launder the money and kick it back to the politicians and the NGOs. And, of course, right in the middle of it, Catholic Charities and Cardinal Dolan. Yeah, we're picking up the pieces. Beware out there. I'm on your jock straps. I'm going to end up putting you all in jail, you thieves, you crooks, hiding behind this concept that you're trying to do humanitarian good, right? For these little people who come flooding across the border and invading us, you're a bunch of crooks! Oh, yeah. Go ahead, come get me. You want to sue me? Get online. You want to kill me? Others have tried. I'm going to get each and every one of you crooks. And then we put it all together and solve the puzzle. 
And we have left so many of our elected officials in our wake. Man, they're spinning. They're saying, how the hell did Curtis know that? And instead of saying, thank you, Curtis, thank you, Nancy, the team of Sliwa and Sliwa, they deny, deny, deny. You can't deny what is happening in our city. Bullfeathers. Joanne Ariola out in the Rockaways, right? You cast dispersions against me. You say I'm a fear monger. Really? Show your cards. Show your cards. Then Joe Borelli, the Republican from South Shore, right? Friend of Frank Morano, texting while he's in Atlantic City and Broadway Bill Lee. You know who is side by side with him shooting craps at the Borgata instead of doing his job of protecting Staten Island from the invasion of illegal aliens. Oh, yeah. Five, five, seven, come on, five, seven, crap. Cole busted him. Shooting craps at the Borgata in Atlantic City, hey. Snoring, snoring, snoring. Oh, yeah. We're going to bag and tag all of them. Let's pick up those pieces, Broadway Billy, on loan from WCBS-FM. Oh, yeah, and in the 4 to 5 o'clock hour, the funniest hour in all the radio, Avery has just tore up Frank Morano. I mean, I got a preview. I was laughing so hard. I had to pick myself up off the floor. I had such belly laughs. Oh, yeah, we're coming after you, Frank Morano, from the other side of midnight. And who is that wench that was side-by-side with him the other day that said she was enraged with the song I created about AOC All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, producer for the Nobody Listens To It, Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo podcast. Nobody listens to it. Nobody. So Frank Morano has all my enemies, right? All right. Well, fix you, Frank Morano. You let him come on. Wrong one, Broadway Billy. You had the wrong one. You're off your game, brother. You better bring your A game. Man, this ain't JV, man. This ain't WCBS-FM with Joe Corsi. But we'll let you slide. Maybe you can compensate and catch it back on the black hand side. Oh, my God. Must have been the rain. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But before we go any, any further... We have to pay tribute. His birthday is coming up to Cousin Brucey because he has a policy when we go into the entertainment cycle of Vinnie Madugno, who is his protege. Obviously, Cousin Brucey for big four hours and his very dear friend, Tony Orlando, without what the hell was her name? Tony Orlando and Dawn. That's right, Dawn. 
Haven't heard from Dawn in a month of Sundays. I almost forgot it. I thought there were two Dawns, not one. But anyway, so in that period of time of seven hours, a certain rule exists here at WABC. Let the man who will be celebrating his birthday, who is the iconic number one DJ of all time, the greatest of all time, Cousin Brucey, explain the rules of those seven hours. Cousin Brucey. Welcome, welcome, my friends. Now, on this show, those of you who do not know, we do not have anything to do with politics. I don't care if you're on the left side, the right side, the middle side, the upside, downside, which I think most of us are today. We don't know where we are today, right? Nothing on this show. Politics and uh, anything like that stays where it belongs, you know. You know where it belongs, outside, and you know where. We don't want it here. This is our park. This is our green space. This is our fun space. It's just four hours to let it all get get rid of it, hang out. That's what we do. Cousin Brucie. Well, now we're going to bring it all back to you. That's right. Ha, 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 cousin. We're going to go deep. We're going to go hard. We're going to cold bust these frauds, fakes, fugazis, and these crooks who claim they're providing humanitarian aid. They're providing ugas, bumpers, and they're lining their pockets with our tax dollars. Democrats and Republicans don't trust any of them. Don't trust any of them. They're selling us out, ladies and gentlemen. They're doing the rope-a-dope. But before we get to those issues of great importance, oh, yeah, we got to get to the issue uh, in which it's come to an end. It's come to an end. Enough of the music, because we ain't picking up no... No horse, uh, no horse chips anymore. We're in the season of parades, and at the end of every parade, or behind the um, horses, usually it's the cops uh, who are on top of the horses who lead off the parades. There is a sanitation department, and they have the barrels. They pick up the horse chips. My Aunt Mary used to believe that if you took those horse chips, which she did, she'd pick them up right out of the streets, and people would say, Mary, what are you doing, huh? She'd say, yeah, you take a nice hot bath, you put the horse chips in there, and if you got poison ivy, you got poison oak, it'll calm it down. Forget the calamine lotion. You know, forget the, uh, the apple cider vinegar. No, no, no. The horse chips. And I'm telling you, there was a time I went out to the East Mauritius when TWA Flight 800 was shot out of the sky. I know they claim, no, it exploded. Hey, let's face it, it was shot out of the sky. They never resolved that. I remember being out there and seeing George Pataki, the governor, have a press conference along with Alphonse Ali Boyd D'Amato, the U.S. senator, and they completely said that there was no attempt to shoot down out of the sky outside of the East Mauritius into the Atlantic Ocean, TWA Flight 800. I completely disagree with them. And I went out there with Joel Santisteban, who used to work at WABC and the traffic department for 30 years. He's since retired. He lived right on that cusp uh, uh, almost before he hit five towns. It's a little community uh, on the other side of JFK. The Jets, when they land, coming from the east, 
are almost ripping off your rooftops. He lived right there. Great family guy. And he was on the weekend, special program on Saturdays. It was called Minorities with Priorities. With guess who? Guess who? James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, the black guy from Southeast Queens who went to Jackson High School. And Joe Santisteban, the Cuban-American, who went to Lawrence High School. And by the way, stellar athlete. Stellar athlete. And they would do that program. And come to think of it, and oh boy, we're really waiting with bated breath for Andrew Evilized Cuomo to get into the batter's box for a third time and, and try to apologize for all the bad things he did, right? First time he appeared on WABC with John Katsimatidis a Friday night struck out, right? Swinging. Second time he appeared, again, struck out, didn't... Didn't answer any, any critical questions about his own behavior as governor of the state of New York. And now I guess he's getting a third opportunity to come into the batting box. You know, almost like Carlos Beltran was in that batting box. Met fans, I'm sorry to rub salt into your wounds. I got to do it. Carlos Beltran was there and he looked at a cold third strike and the Mets did not go on to the World Series. It was the St. Louis Cardinals. It did. And I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. So who do they put him in the uh, the bullpen with here, the studio? James Golden will be away. So they asked Rita Cosby to interview Andrew Evilized Como four to five Tuesday with the promise that he's going to answer all questions. He's going to clean the air. He's going to humble himself. My quantum I, it's never going to happen. First of all, I'm not fuzzy. I don't want to be fuzzy. I don't even know what fuzzy means. I'm from New York. We don't have fuzzy in New York. You don't have fuzzy in New York. You and Trump are the same. You never apologize. Never. They don't have any humility. They're pretentious. They're obstinate, right? Obnoxious to boot. Oh, never wrong. Always right. And even when you catch them, they're wrong. No, they're still right. So we're going to wait for Tuesday to come around, 4 to 5, right? Like, he's going to answer all the questions. He's going to answer the caller's questions. Yeah, right. Stick to politics. Do yourself a favor out there. You're listening on WLIRR, FM affiliate. Remember, FM stands for what? Freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating manly, free marijuana, and Frank Morano. The... uh, the Cuomo's, the sixth family of organized crime, is listening as we speak. Those remaining uh, members of the male division, Matilda Knott, I never really knew uh, the sisters. Uh, I know one of the sisters was funding Joe Pococo when he was in jail six years for political corruption. But uh, he's out now. They're all at the compound. They're stirring the marinara sauce. They've hit the mattresses. Andrew Evilized Cuomo is trying to get resurrected along with his brother, Fredo Cuomo. And again, the next step takes place Tuesday, 4 to 5. You know, nothing's going to come of it. This guy does the rope-a-dope. There's no way he's going to say, I am sorry for being responsible for the murder of 16,000 elderly people because of my executive order in the midst of the lockdown and pandemic. You think he's going to say, I'm sorry? Of course not. I'm sorry that I was uh, writing a book with my staff in the middle of the lockdown and pandemic about leadership and then lied about it, that they were all volunteers. Meantime, they were on our time, state pay time. 
And we could go on and on. And probably what bothers me the worst is he will never address what he said over and over and over. America was never a great country. I, I want him to address that. Forget all the other America was never a great country, huh? And I'm hoping some of you out there call him up on that because they won't take my call. You know that, Broadway Billy. I'll fake my voice. Why did you say that America was never that great? And he'll deny that. But you know I have the documentary evidence. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Up next, we must discuss what transpired at the Preakness Stakes earlier today in Baltimore. And how I will never, ever do picks again, nor go to a horse race. Never, ever, ever. It's over for me. What do you think happened at the Preakness in one of the preliminary runs? Another three-year-old horse was euthanized on the track. I mean, come on. What do you think? We're all stupid? These trainers, these owners are juicing their horses. They're million-dollar horses. They want the edge. 17 horses alone this year at Los Alamitos Racecourse. God, about nine. A few days before Churchill Downs, the first leg of the Kentucky Derby, right? And you tell me they're not juicing them up. This natural for two- and three-year-olds, four-year-olds. They're just dropping dead, right? Get the hell out of here. That's it. I've had it with them. But we got to talk about it because if you go to the backstretch of any racetrack, it's all illegal aliens. Yeah, they clean out the stalls. They're the hot walkers. They prepare the horses. Without the illegal aliens, you wouldn't have racing. I'm going to tell you what happened one time when Ronald Reagan had just been elected governor and he thought he was going to crack down on illegal aliens in California. And <laughs> Boy. Surprise, surprise, surprise. No racing, no taxes, no income. All of a sudden, Ronald Reagan was saying, bring all the illegal aliens back in the backstretch because without them, you can't have competitive thoroughbred racing or trotter racing. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Hey. 
My phone has been blowing up. Phone calls, texts, emails. People happy that I have said I've had it with the sport of horse racing. Never again will I ever go to a track. Not Aqueduct, not Belmont. I'm not going to the Belmont Stakes. Third leg of the Triple Crown. Not up to Saratoga. No, 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 no. When I saw... The news headline tonight, because I did not watch the Preakness, man. I've had it. All these horses dying. Two, three, four-year-olds. Come on. What do you think? We're idiots. And I saw this cheetah. Bob Baffert, right? This guy. I never liked him when I used to see him at the track. You know, he stands all up. He's omnipotent, pretentious. You know, uh, he walks around like Sid Rosenberg, like a peacock, you know. I'm the best, not like the rest. A real asshole. That's that's what he is. And so he got caught juicing up his Kentucky Derby winner back in 2021, Medina Spirit. And he was disqualified. And then he was suspended from racing until now. So under the cover of darkness, he arrived at the Preakness. And his horse, National Treasure, won the Preakness Stakes. Ending any hope of a Triple Crown this year. Meantime, what was really bad, and really, and it really turned my stomach. You know, I want you to get the song from uh, Tupac Shakur, California. You know that song he did, California? So in one of the preliminary races, and remember, he's been away. He was suspended from racing. He's been away for two years. First time back in a big race. And there are the preliminary races, as they all had. And um, the Colt that he was training, having them meltdown, went down with a leg injury in the undercard. The black barriers were propped up on the dirt track while the horse was put down. This I've seen before. An ambulance follows the horses when they leave out of the chute. So that if any of the horses fall, break stride, the chance they may break their leg. And in some instances, it can't be fixed. It's like piano legs. It's not like our legs, which can be fixed. And do you know, while they were euthanizing this horse, with all the people in the stands for the Preakness, they were playing this song, Tupac's California Love, blared from the infield speakers. What the hell is wrong with the racing industry? They're playing this song while on the track everybody should have had bated breath When you see them bring the black barriers out of that ambulance that follows all the horses when they break out of the gate, it's sickening. It really, you know, there's a very good chance that horse is going to be euthanized and they shoot him up and then they have a winch and they drag him. You don't get to see it. I've seen it 
where they drag him into the back of the ambulance. And then they take him away. I'm sure to do some kind of necropsy or something like that, an autopsy for the horse. But did they ever give you the results? Of course not. Man, they are juicing up horses. They are doping up horses. Like, remember we went through that in baseball? Remember with A-Roy, A-Rod, Cheetah? Oh, I never used that. No, no. And who represented him? Joe Tacopina, right? You all, hey, Joe Tacopina. Great lawyer, friend of Sid Rosenberg. He lied. He's a liar for hire. And then all of a sudden, after all the lies, Major League Baseball, A-Roy, A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez had to admit, yeah, I got juiced up. Oh, and now look at him. He's in the broadcast booth. Hey! Mark McGuire, I'm using the cream, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slamming Sammy Sosa, who's whiter than me now. How the hell did that happen? Well, that didn't come from Roy's. That came from Bleach. That guy was all roided up. And then, of course, Bonds. Bonds, whose whose head grew, whose feet grew, and whose testicles shrunk. And yet he was hitting them out of the ballpark, but everybody said, man, your testicles have shrunk. That is directly indicative of... Of using steroids. No, 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 I ain't using steroids, you cheater. And some, as you've seen in professional wrestling, right? WWF, WWE, superstar Billy Graham just died. Remember all the problems he had from being roided up over the years? All kinds of cancers, all kinds of tumors. Enough of this. But to the horses... They don't choose to get shot up. Superstar Billy Graham chose to get shot up with steroids. You may have remembered the wrestler of all wrestlers. When I first saw him get into the ring, and I'm going to put it out there because, oh, man, it was so obvious he was roided up. You know who I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. The ultimate warrior. Remember? Was he not so roided up? I never saw a human being structured like that. I mean, he must have been shooting up roids morning, noon, and night. But they chose to do it. Humans can choose. Horses can't. Horses are at the beck and call of their trainers and vets who walk around with a black bag. And consider professionals. Remember, there are millions and millions of dollars involved in this industry. The sheikhs in Qatar are involved. The Saudis are involved. The wealthy of Europe are involved. Wealthy Americans. Remember the Egyptian? Remember the Egyptian? He had the triple crown winner. Lives in New Jersey. We'll talk about that later on because... um, The winning horse of the Triple Crown always had a companion with him in the stall, a male companion, another horse, proving that there is homosexuality amongst the thoroughbreds, the mares, but not the geldings, because once you're a gelding, it's over. They take your three-piece set. Oh, yeah. And I know a lot of guys listening now feel like geldings. They do when you're married. Hey, it's over. You're a gelding. Or a capon, which is a castrated rooster. 
But I have had an opportunity to be in the backstretch. Many of these tracks, the illegal aliens do most of the work that nobody else will do. And they live in really bad conditions. If you've ever seen that, how now for them, it's a step up coming from some of the countries they are, which I know because I've been in the favelas, I've been in the colonias. And yes, the cinder block housing with no air conditioning is a hell of a lot better uh, in the backstretch for the illegal aliens, the groomers, the hot walkers, those that muck out the stables, take care of the uh, thoroughbreds, hose them down, wash them, tend to their needs. Then it might be in the third world country where they came across the border in order to get this job. It very, it's very much they're all from the same town, all from the same family. One follows another. But I've had it. To see Bob Batford standing there in the winner's circle with national treasure, winner of the Preakness, and then knowing that one of his horses in a preliminary race went down. God, it has to stop. 17 horses alone this year died at Los Alamitos Racecourse in California. The name of that horse, because you never remember it afterwards, Pistachio Princess. The 57th racehorse death in California this year. They're all young. We're not talking about dying of old age. Or dying like we die, you have diabetes, stroke, heart attack. You know, they end up getting some of those things, just like dogs and cats. Not from that. Because they're pumping horses full of drugs until their death and ignoring their welfare. It can no longer be tolerated. And if they don't clean up their act, then just ban the sport. Ban it. Yeah, go over to Saudi Arabia. Those shakes, they don't care. Go to Qatar. Go to North Africa, go to Europe, go watch it there, right? You'll get in on simulcast, degenerate gamblers. You always have something to bet on. But if trainers in this sport don't clean up their act and they keep fighting against any kind of horse racing integrity, then the sport will undoubtedly end up just like the animal exhibits at the Ringling Brothers in Barnum, Barnum and Bailey Circus, where they used to abuse animals too, okay? And uh, it gets subsidized. Many of these horse tracks get subsidized by the casinos. When you go to Aqueduct, there's nobody in the stands. There's a few uh, Rastafarians there, you know, hook them, hook them, hook them. As they have their jippy pop hats on, they have their gold teeth, right? After they've been smoking their ganj, they're screaming at the simulcast. There's nobody in the stands. The only reason that Aqueduct exists now as a racetrack is because of the subsidies that they get from the Racino right next door that's owned by Genting, a Malaysian company. Let's be perfectly clear. Yonkers Racetrack only exists because of the casino uh, that provides the purses, the subsidies. We can go on and on and on. It's got to stop. And all I do, and these are people who are friends of mine. They give me freaking excuses. And then when I turn to other people, because they know I've had access to the backstretch, the paddocks, the stalls, to watch the training. And I've never seen any of this. I always thought the horses were pampered. 
But that's what we see publicly. But you can't tell me they're not juicing these horses up. The same way human beings are ODing from fentanyl or heroin or now, yeah, isn't it ironic? The flesh-eating drug that is a horse tranquilizer. <laughs> Our junkies are shooting into their veins mixed with fentanyl. Horse tranquilizer, huh? Causing junkies problems, human junkies. Man, this is really bad news. And my my wife's been on my case for years saying, what are you going? Well, why are you going? You, you realize how barbaric this sport is? I said, Nancy, not from what I see, but it's clear. You know, the thing I was aware of at Aqueduct is when they would milkshake a horse and put a tube down their throat the day before the race in their stall, and they pump in baking soda. And you figure baking soda, okay, it's an irritant. It agitates the horse's stomach. But we're not talking drugs. And it gives them an advantage the next day. No, that's not what's killing horses, milkshaking. That's illegal. What's killing them is they're experimenting with these high-performance drugs. The horses are too big to be on the legs that they were born with. Those are piano legs. They break most times, that's it. You have to euthanize the horse. So why do they keep making these horses more and more powerful? There's too much viscosity on those legs. And the owners know that. The trainers know that. And now it's all catching up to them. You cannot deny, you cannot lie anymore. That's it. You lost a friend of the horse racing industry here, Curtis Lever. Never going to a track again. I'm not going to be bamboozled by people that tell me, oh, no, 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 Curtis, they really are pampered. You don't understand. And that, no, I understand. I'm looking at the analytics. 57 racehorse deaths in California this year alone. A few days before the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs, the first leg of the Triple Crown, there were eight. These are top flight horses. But the money in the purses is so great that just like athletes in baseball and football and other competitive sports, especially now with gambling on sports. Yeah, yeah, Pete Rose can't get into the Hall of Fame because he did gamble. He gambled on baseball. He gambled on his, his own team when he was manager of the Cincinnati Reds. There's no doubt about it. But now there's fan duel everywhere. You can gamble on anything and you can't tell me. Just like A-Roy, just like slamming Sammy Sosa, just like Mark McGuire, just like all of them that roided up. But they could make that choice. It was wrong, but they made that choice. The horses cannot make that choice. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Wow. The experiences that I've had. Walking through the backstretch, all the illegal aliens there. Without whom, there'd be no horse racing. When Ronald Reagan uh, became governor in California, he was going to crack down on the illegal aliens that were pouring into California. And then he sent uh, his state police into the track outside of Los Angeles, Santa Anita. Go through Glendale, you're in Santa Anita. It's beautiful out there, trees everywhere. And uh, he had all the illegal aliens rounded up and deported. And all of a sudden, there was no racing for like a few months because there was nobody to do all the grunt work. And so his uh, staff in Sacramento said to Governor Reagan, hey, you know what? We better get those illegal aliens back. We make a lot of money in taxes on horse racing in Santa Anita and the other tracks. And you know what Ronald Reagan did? He said, get them back. That's an industry without illegal aliens that could not exist, whether it's trotters or thoroughbreds. And speaking, I think it was 2015, I was uh, at the Triple Crown at Belmont Stakes. And I think it was 2015. A lot of people were there because it was American Pharaoh, the horse he had already won. Kentucky Derby, Preakness. His, um, the owner of the horse, Ahmed, I'll never forget, Zayed. Really bizarre. He was an Orthodox Jew who was an Egyptian who owned a brewery, I think, outside of Alexandria where the Coptic uh, Egyptians are. I think he lived in uh, Teaneck. And American Farrell won uh, the Belmont Stakes when he was uh, in his stall at the Preakness outside of Baltimore. There were gunshots. Because, man, that, that's a dangerous area where the Preakness takes place. And uh, he had a stable mate. He had an older male horse that would go with him, would travel with him everywhere. So when he was on the road, when he went to Churchill Downs, uh, Kentucky Derby, he wasn't in that stall by himself. He had a male horse there. I don't know what was going on. But that male horse calmed him down. And when there are fillies. Now, fillies generally don't win against thoroughbreds. Or when a thoroughbred has had his three-piece set removed from him. And I'm not talking about the knife and spoon and fork and becomes a gelding. But sometimes fillies do win. And there have been cases. Yes, Broadway Bill Lee, just like Katy Perry is singing here where Phillies have been shacked up in the same paddock. Two Phillies in the same stall. And I'd be walking around looking and saying, what the hell? I'll come there two in there and only one here. And uh, Enrico from Guadalajara, who could barely speak English, would tell me it comes to Philly down. I guess that Philly didn't want to be around guys, right? Didn't want to be around the uh, the thoroughbreds. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't mind the gelding. But they didn't want to be mounted. Yeah, that's the way it was done old style. Now, uh, with millions of dollars on the line, Saudi, uh, you know, the house of fraud, the Saudis, who invest all their oil money in horses, will buy them sometimes just so that they can procreate without 
having to mount to Philly. You know, it's the way, what was that, Queen Victoria was able to deliver a child, what, with a turkey baster? Freaky deaky. In the Petri dish, millions of dollars, millions of dollars for that spermazoa. You talk about people who uh, like to take money and just waste it. A lot of rich people out there involved in the horse racing industry. Well, let me just say, arrivederci. You ain't seeing me no more in Saratoga, Belmont, Aqueduct, Yonkers Raceway, anywhere with his horse racing. I've had it, and this sport needs to be shut down because these beautiful animals are dropping every day and dying because you're juicing them up. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. This is Curtis Lewa. As if you didn't even know, I am the sheriff of the MTA, the money-taking agency. Yo, there's photo recognition technology. You're all on film. I'm going to know quickly if you're a criminal or not. And those guys who are trying to prove they don't have erectile dysfunction, put your three-piece set in your pants, you pervs. And if you try to commit the crime, whatever it is, I'm going to hit you so hard, your grandmother will feel the vibration. So, you want to deal with me? Or you want to just sit down, mind your own business, and get off of your stop, and don't bust anybody's chops. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
So I'm trying to dry up earlier. On Saturday, I got caught in the deluge, the tsunami. And naturally, I'm watching a bank of uh, TV screens, all in our newsroom, in preparation of doing this show. And what did I see? Video after video of the uh, dead young man, Neely, who had been choked out, headlocked on that F train. Seems almost a lifetime ago on a Monday afternoon at 2.30. And as a result of the headlock and choke, he expired. The Marine having assisted him, excuse me, the Marine was assisted by two good Samaritans who have been called bad Samaritans by Al Slim Shady Sharpton, AOC All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and her many mini-me's. So you have Daniel uh, Penny, United States Marine. He's been charged with manslaughter. And Alvin Bragg, who turns loose to criminals and always prosecutes law-abiding people defending themselves and others. Uh, He's got six months to impanel a grand jury to hear the evidence against Daniel Penny. And the police department is searching out one of those good Samaritans. You know they're going to charge him because Al Slim Shady Sharpton wants it that way. And remember, who's in charge of Alvin Bragg and Eric Adams' swagger man with no plan? It's who else? Al Slim Shady Sharpton. They made their bones in the National Action Network. In fact, Eric Adams was one of the signers of their uh, constitution and their... uh, Nonprofit papers that were submitted long and long ago. So they are attached to Al Slim Shady Sharpton at the hip. They are his appendages. So to think they're going to break ranks with him, it ain't happening. He wants Daniel Penny charged with murder, not manslaughter. He wants the two good Samaritans, who he now refers to as bad Samaritans, he wants them arrested and charged with murder. You better believe Alvin Bragg, man, that phone is singing and ringing. You catch him yet? I want him charged with murder. You got that, Alvin? Murder. Or never come again to the National Action Hate Network where we hate everything that ain't like us, including those crackers. Like that Curtis Lee at WABC is always calling me out. That's right, Sharpton. I will always call you out until the day I die. I was on one side, Canarsie, Linden Boulevard. You on the other side, Stone Avenue, they called it then. Right by the Children's Library. Brownsville never ran, never will. Change that to Mother Gaston Boulevard now. And uh, you were there in the projects. Yeah, Linden Project. Oh, yeah. Al Slim Shady Sharpton went to Tilden High School along King's Highway. That's where my mother went decades before. And what a scam he pulled there. He was the, they elected him student government president. 80% of the student body at that time. That had to be 1971. Jews. Socialists. Liberals, progressive, Democratic Jews, they want to show everybody that, no, no, we're open-minded. We're not uh, opposed to African-Americans, blacks, 
So what did they do? They elected him president of the student body. What a mistake that was. And then all of a sudden, uh, they had a raffle. And they were selling raffles, all the Jewish kids competing against one another, uh, along with the black uh, children who were part of the uh, student government and also the black studies program. Al Slim Shady Sharpton said to the principal, the Jewish principal there, we're going to raise some money for a scholarship program in honor of Martin Luther King Jr., who had been assassinated in Memphis. And so all the Jews there said, hey, this is great. The principal said, this is great. And so Yitzhak went out and sold the most raffles going door to door. Back then, it was mostly single and double family houses. He went door to door, went to the Jewish houses, sold the raffles. He won the prize. They had an assembly program in the same assembly hall that my mother had gone to back in the 30s. And there was Al Slim Shady Sharp and Old Proud. Yitzhak's family had won... A 13-inch RCA color TV. Hey, we're talking like 71, right? Hey, that was big. So they schlepped the box home. They put it in a station wagon. They bring it to their house, which was right near Brookdale Hospital. They bring it up to the second floor. That's where they live. They open up the box. They looked inside of the box, right? It had been gutted out. There were no tubes. It was four bricks. It was basically a frame of a TV. So Yitzhak's parents say, oh, my God, we've been ripped off. So they go to uh, Tilden High School and complain to the Jewish principal. They say, man, look at this. This is a placebo TV. We got ripped off. And so the principal calls out Slim Shady Sharpton into the office. Remember, the big market, he's president of the student government. And the parents say, hey, the TV, there was no TV inside. There were no guts. All the tubes were gone. Al Slim Shady Sharpton then turns to them and the principal and says, I don't know. I went to a TV store there on Pitkin Avenue. It was owned by those Jews. You better go talk to them. The family goes nuts. They want their money back. They want their TV. The principal says, hold your horses. I'll sit down. I'll talk without some shady Sharpton. Yitzhak's family leaves, and the principal has a sit-down, remember, with the student government president, Al Slim Shady Sharpton, and he goes, Al, we got a problem here. Al looks at him and says, no, we don't have a problem. You have a problem. So the principal says, you're going to have to go out and get that Yitzhak family a new TV says, hell no, we're pulling a student strike. For two days, they're out in the streets. No justice, no peace. There's a riot going on. There's fights breaking out. A lot of racial tension back then in high schools. Tilden High School, Canarsie High School. After that, South Shore High School. You name it. I don't know of any schools that didn't have racial fights at that point. And the cops come, and they try to calm it down. And Al Slim Shady Sharpton, as a senior in high school, demands that Mayor John Lindsay come to Tilden High School to resolve this. And who showed up at Tilden High School? John Jellybelly Lindsay, spineless that he was. 
because Al Slim Shady Sharpton, student government president of Tilden, called him a racist. Oh, my God, you call a white guy a racist. Put the scarlet letter on. Hey, hey, Slim Shady Sharpton, go ahead. Put nine scarlet letters on me, huh? But actually, Jelly Belly, oh, I want to run for president. I can't be called a racist. This young black man, he's developing quite a following. When he was younger, he was the opening act for James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One. He was called the boy minister. I can't offend him. If I offend him, I may not be able to run for president of the United States. Hey, you dope. Nobody who's mayor of the United States ever can win running for president or dog catcher after their mayor. Now none of them learned that, right? Lindsay, right, right, right. Well, let me see. Who else? Um, oh, that's right. Michael Maticic, right? Giuliani thought he could run. No. Bloomberg. No. De Blasio. No. Oh, this one. This piece of work. Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Yeah. I'm the new face of the Democratic Party. I'll be the future president. No. Your mayor, you go nowhere after that. And they like, just do your job as mayor. And then it's over. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. They'll bury you. They'll give you a good eulogy. It's over. Oh, God. How many of you were going to Tilden High School at that time? And you remember how Al Slim Shady Sharpton pulled his first scam of many to follow. How do you think the guy could get over with that Tawana Brawley lie up in Wappinger's Falls, Poughkeepsie, and destroy the life of Stephen Pagones, who was the assistant district attorney there? How do you think he could get away with it? And you know who went up to testify on his behalf when he was being sued for slander and libel in state court in Poughkeepsie? Geraldo Rivera, and I was there for Stephen Pagones and his family, and I looked at Geraldo. What the hell are you doing here? Oh, I'm testifying for my very dear friend, Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Geraldo, he made all of this up. You know that. Along with Alton Maddox, C. Vernon Mason, you know they made this all up. Well, I don't really know that, Curtis. Yes, you do. But you see, you don't want to offend Al Slim Shady Sharpton so easy to go after the McWhitey Whitey Stephen Pagones. By the way, what has happened to Stephen Pagones? They destroyed his family. He couldn't even show his face nationally. They said, you raped Tawana Brawley. You left her to die right there outside of the apartment complex in Wappingers Fall. Meantime, where was she? She was with a boyfriend. In the crack zone of Newburgh, afraid to come home to her stepfather, a guy named King, who was a bus driver, because she had stayed out after curfew, and she was afraid that King was going to give her a beatdown. Oh, I know that story. Up ways, sideways, every which way. You are never, ever, ever going to have me forget. And he never apologized for that. Yet he never apologized, and he went zoom, 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 zoom. Whatever happened to Alton Maddox, Steve Vernon Mason crashed and burned. That's why Andrew Evilized Cuomo, your father, Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo. I know you're listening right now on WLIR. Let him off the hook. When Bobby Abrams was the state attorney general and put together a grand jury, Al Slim Shady Sharpton would not produce Tawana Brawley. He should have been locked up. 
But Mario Facha Bruta como se, oh, please don't call me a racist. Racist, why? Because I want to run for the presidency, and I don't want to have that scarlet letter racist. You punks. Mario, as had them a two, see you provenance fachim, and boy, you sure were. See, you listen to Curtis Lieber because I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. Damn right. And, man, I really hate this pedophile on a pedestal. But while I was out there in the newsroom trying to dry off from all that rain, make sure I didn't get triple pneumonia. Although I know my many enemies would have loved me to get pneumonia. Die. I know they're saying, die, die, you SOB. <laughs> I will live to haunt you all and rat you out and drop dime on you, whether you're friends or foes. You screw the people, I'm the one who's going to call you out. So I'm looking at the bank of TVs, and at one time, all three TVs were on different stations, and they were all playing the Michael Jackson imitator Neely from 10 years ago. He's doing the moonwalk, he's got the sequin gloves, he's got the little fedora on his hat, uh, he's performing, it, it appeared to be in a subway station. I am saying that's 10 years ago. Ten years ago. When we come back, yesterday, Al Slim Shady Sharpton screaming from the bully pulpit of the Black Baptist Church of the Reverend Johnny Green. I know Johnny. Oh, yeah, Broadway Bill Lee. I know Johnny Green. <laughs> These mail order ministers. I know them all. Look at, look, look, look at Avery. You're getting a little nervous here. He's got to see the pastor in a few hours there. Don't worry, your pastor ain't Johnny Green. In fact, maybe I'm going to find out who your pastor is and see where where he's got his theological degree, huh? Like Al Slim Shady Sharpton used to say when people would say, where's your church? Reverend Al, where's your church? And he would say, did Jesus have a church? What the hell are you talking about comparing yourself to Jesus? That guy ended up standing on a soapbox on the corner of 4th Avenue and Atlantic Avenue where the Barclays Center now stands. He was preaching there, naturally, for money. He wasn't preaching for nothing. Follow the money. What do I always tell you? Follow the money. That's what it's all about. I don't care if you're white or black. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I need to hear Eric Adams when he was up in the bully pulpit. Broadway Bill Lee on his first day after being sworn in in the state Senate. All the media was there. All the lobbyists were there. Family, friends. You got that cut, Broadway Bill Lee? Eric Adams, come on, man. You should have it right at the right at the tip of your fingers. Might as well have been Vincent Price there laughing up a storm because it's the code of politics. It's the code. I would not be the mayor of the city of New York if it wasn't that God saw something in me. I am the most imperfect, most perfectly imperfect human being. I am here not because I'm the smartest, not because I'm the brightest. I'm here because in all my heart, I believe that is the Esther 4 and 14th moment God made oh, me for such a time oh, like there this. There he goes, Avery. 
And show me the money. That's what it's all about. Show me the money. I can see, man, you didn't bring your A game today. Man. Uh, we'll give Broadway Billy an opportunity to get back on track. Show me the money. That sounded like me. <laughs> oh, man. I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen. There's one thing you will learn out there. I don't care what your party affiliation. I don't care who you lionize, what cult you're part of, political cult, which Kool-Aid you drink. You got it? You got it, Broadway Billy? You think you got it? Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Now, with billions being spent on these illegal aliens, housing them in no-tell motels, holiday inns without the express, you think that all of a sudden, this is, this is what he's always, can I hear that one more time, please? One Show more time. me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Now close to $5 billion to house these illegal aliens. We're going to discuss that at length. In our last hour, because you're going to be with me till the break of dawn while I'm drying up here. Five to six, we'll connect all the dots. This is what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody has had more information and more details and cold busted all of them as they're taking money out of your pockets. Democrats and Republicans, their contributors, as they get wine dined in pocket line with our tax dollars, and I'm going to cold bust them all. And you know I have help? You know, Nancy, it's part of the, uh, we call it the demolition uh, team of Sliwa and Sliwa. I'm in the streets. And, man, she's doing the deep dive, at, formerly in real estate, an e-attorney. And we're peeling the layers of these LLCs that these companies, individuals hide behind. It's like peeling the leaves of a artichoke of an onion and we're going to bag and tag all of them and I'm going to use the bully pulpit here to expose them but up now a man who's lived by that very code show me the money every step of his life since he was the boy preacher the opening act for the godfather of soul soul brother number one James Brown yeah well when we come back we're going to be playing those cuts in that eulogy for Neely that he gave that was a disgrace, a shanda the other day at Harlem. And then we hear from Daniel Penny, the Marine, the very first time, exclusive interview with Dana Kennedy of the New York Post. You can go online and see it. She's a great reporter. And uh, it really will explain a lot. Would you believe it or not, Broadway Bill Lee, the Marine, Daniel Penny, didn't even know who Al Sharpton is. He truly is a surfer. <laughs> if you've ever dealt with surfers like I've dealt with surfers, they don't follow news. They don't follow current events. They follow the surf. Here it comes. Get the board. Surf's up. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC.
It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. way it's been for me all 69 of my years our city has had its ups it's had its downs. it was never better than when it was rescued and resuscitated by Michael Mbaricic Rudy Giuliani stabilized by Bloomberg and then we went crashing down with comrade Bill de Blasio the part-time mayor the dope from Park Slope uh, who was a protege of David Dinkins and then the continuation of de Blasio 2.0 with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. So we had the situation of Daniel Penny, the Marine, charged in the New York City subway chokehold death. He has broken his silence by talking to Dana Kennedy of the New York Post's outstanding interview. She really asked him a wide variety of questions that everybody was curious about. Some of his answers were pretty damn strange, but fits his profile. He wanted everybody to know he is not a white supremacist because obviously Al Slim Shady Sharpton, AOC All Out Crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, All Out Crazy that she is, declared that he had murdered uh, nearly one day, lynched him the next day, and executed him the third day. She scored the trifecta and was able to sit in a pew to hear the vile bile pour from Al Sharpton's lips. But before we get to that, this is the news you're all interested. What did Daniel Penny have to say? Well, it wasn't on tape, so we don't have the audio of it. But according to Dan... Uh, Dana Kennedy, he was soft-spoken and stoic about being at the center of this political and racial firestorm, which it sure has come. He wanted to assure everybody this had nothing to do with race. He was talking uh, while he was sitting under a gazebo at Argyle Park in Babylon, not far from the Long Island beaches where he grew up surfing. I've never been out to uh, Argyle Park in Babylon. Maybe my wife has. As you know, she grew up in Bohemia, right, in uh, Ronkonkoma. Maybe she's been there. If any of you have, maybe you can describe what it's like there. West Islip is uh, where his residence was. He actually, when he took down Neely on that car, he was living in the Lower East Side at that time. I had no idea. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. He said he could not go into the details about the events that transpired in the subway car because he's got to wait the legal action that at this point will require Alvin Bragg, who is charged him with second-degree manslaughter, to impanel a grand jury within six months. I heard Noam Layden, our news director, say in his broadcast uh, on Saturday morning that 
there was the feeling that the grand jury was going to be impaneled starting on Monday. So Penny told the New York Post that he was coming back to Manhattan from school and was en route to his gym on West 23rd Street when the chaotic encounter erupted. He did not want to name the school where he is studying architecture. He is now taking classes remotely and online. Quote, I was going to my gym, Penny said. There's a pool there. I like to swim. I was living in the East Village at the time. I no longer live there. <laughs> That's for sure. It'd be, there'd be uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, which is now b- big, large mansions outside of his door protesting. I take the subway multiple times a day. I think the New York transit system is the best in the world. And I've been all over the world. He has uh, definitely traveled the globe. Uh, Neely's aunt, who we've heard from before and was there at the Waken funeral, uh, described uh, her uh, nephew, Neely, as having been a complete mess following the brutal murder of his mother in 2007. She noted that he was a schizophrenic and suffered from PTSD and depression. Uh, The aunt said that the whole system just failed him. He fell through the cracks of the system, Carolyn Neely said. So the 24-year-old former Marine Daniel Perry, who served as an infantry squad leader and an instructor in water survival while in the Marine Corps from 2017 to 2021, and who had graduated from high school in West Islip, New York, said that, hey, he's very sorry for what had transpired. But if given an opportunity to do it again, he would have done it without questioning it. That's a man's man. Knowing that this guy could be in really bad trouble, depending on the makeup of a jury that's impaneled in the future. Although it's hard for me to fathom that you could find 12 people who would agree to find him guilty. You just never know in this political climate. And remember, he surrendered 11 days after he placed Neely in that fatal chokehold. And I know reporters who were trying to do a deep dive on this guy, social uh, networking. uh, And so far, nothing has come back bad about him. Nobody has had anything bad to say about him at all. And uh, he said, look, uh, I've been trained by my grandfathers. He didn't really mention his father. Apparently, uh, His family, there was a divorce early on. He had like three sisters, himself and his mother. So he didn't mention his uh, father that much. He mentioned his two grandfathers, one who had come from Italy and the other one, Italian, who was born here in this country. I really didn't think he was Italian. I didn't think. I thought he was maybe waspy or Irish or whatever, but apparently both grandparents are Italian. Penny nodded and said he was Now, get this, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery. He was asked about Reverend Al Sharpton and what he said at Neely's funeral, and Penny nodded but said he wasn't sure who Sharpton is. I don't really know celebrities that well. He added that he does not watch the news while he is aware of some of the negativity towards him and said he was somewhat surprised by the media onslaught He remained philosophical. Quote, 
if you're faced with all these challenges, you have to remain calm. What's the point of worrying about something? Worrying is not going to make your problems disappear. I attribute this to my grandfather. They are very, very stoic. Penny said he gave up social media years ago. Quote, I don't follow anyone and I don't have social media because I really don't like the attention and I just think there are better ways to spend your time. I don't like the limelight. Penny has three sisters, said he has been surrounded by family and friends since the incident and says his family is hanging in there. Quote, my mom is okay, he said. My sisters understand. They all support me. Penny described a relatively happy childhood growing up in West Islip. He was one of four children. His parents split up when he was very young. He said his two role models are his grandfathers, one of whom immigrated from Italy. The other grandfather is a first-generation American whose parents immigrated from Italy also. He said he moved around a lot in West Islip because of his parents' split, but spent much of his formative years in a house right near the sea that his great-grandfather bought in the 1960s. Quote, my grandmother was raised there, Penny said, and then my father and his brothers were raised there, and then me and my sisters were able to grow up there. I'm very thankful. It's a beautiful house right near the water. We wouldn't have been able to live that lifestyle on the water if it wasn't for my family. Penny said his parents' divorce was difficult, but it had an upside. Quote, it brought me and my sisters closer. You know, we're really close. I love my sisters. I have three of them. I'll do anything for them. Penny attended Suffolk Community College after graduating from West Islip High School, where he was a lacrosse star before enlisting in the Marines. Quote, Growing up in the wake of 9-11 and the terrorist attacks in a community full of firemen, first responders, cops, it was like I need to serve my community in some way. Penny was deployed twice with the 22nd Marine Expeditionary Unit. Penny went to Kuwait, Bahrain, Oman, Jordan, Greece, and Spain. He said, we stayed off the coast of Iran for a bit. It was during that whole drone thing when they were shooting stuff down and stuff. Penny also went to Okinawa in Japan. Quote, Penny said, I love to travel. It really changed my perspective of the world for sure. I'm very thankful for being able to travel so much. Just the friendliness and welcoming of everyone and everywhere that I went to. And even before I deployed, you know, a lot of my friends I served with in my platoon came from all over, a lot from Central America and Mexico. That you know, I've opened up my eyes to their cultures and their perspectives. I love leading Marines and I love being around Marines, he said of his service, where he eventually achieved the rank of sergeant. I love helping people, he said. Penny said he didn't try to become a leader in the Marines, but it comes when you actually are doing your service and you earn your promotions. I just I just did what I had to do. And I think growing up in a majority female household, you learn to live in different ways from an early age. Ah, that's true. I grew up in a household of females because my father was away. He was a merchant seaman most of the time. My oldest sister, Alita, my youngest sister, Maria, 
My mother, Francesca, her sisters, my aunts were mostly at the house to take care of my grandfather and grandmother, uh, Lucia, Lucy, uh, Louise, uh, Mary. My uncles came and went, but wasn't the same. So I, I, I can identify with that. You learn to have a compassion and a humility and disregard your perspective and show compassion to other people's perspectives as well. So he said that growing up in a majority female household, you learn to lead in different ways from an early age. That is so true. Leaving the Marines, he said, was a tough transition. I really miss the interaction, he said. I miss the adventure. So last summer, Penny decided to drive from New York and do a road trip through Mexico and Central America all the way to Nicaragua. Probably took the old Pan Am, Pan American Highway that I learned about in elementary school. Goes all the way from the northern part of Canada up in the Yukon, all the way to the tip of Chile and Argentina right before you hit Antarctica. Can actually drive right on through those continents, right through the Western Hemisphere. Penny said he drove cross-country and then down to Mexico, mostly by himself, but with a friend part of the time. He got caught one time in a bad hurricane in an enchanted forest in Osaka. I know I'm mispronouncing that. And was trapped on a mountain for 48 hours. Quote, he said, my car got stuck in a landslide. We had to hike and find a local village to come help dig us out. The villagers were so friendly and kind. They really treated me like family. You hear so many bad things about these places, Penny said. I just wanted to see for myself, and thankfully, I was proven right that these people were always welcoming and friendly and treated me like family everywhere. Penny said he was sitting in a coffee shop in Guatemala last year when he said he suddenly felt overwhelmingly at home. I've been in Guatemala, Guatemala City. I'm telling you, I did not feel at home at that time. That was at a time where Guatemala was on the cusp of a civil war. You had the rebels. You had the government troops. They were on Toyota trucks with submachine guns and machine guns on the back, and they were roaming the streets looking for rebels. I did not feel at home in Guatemala, but Penny did. He said, I was just overwhelmed by a sense of home, even though I couldn't be further from home by being in Guatemala. So I just attribute that, obviously, to the way the locals treated me there. They were very welcoming, and also the structure I was sitting in. It was there that I decided I wanted to study architecture and maybe help inspire other feelings of home for other people. Penny said he owes his calm demeanor to his many days on the water and said he planned to surf this uh, afternoon, Saturday. Obviously, he must have given the interview on Friday. And he says he likes to surf to blow off steam. Quote, I've been surfing my entire life, he said, Growing up on the water, growing up at the beach, it's what my father and grandfather did too. Very, very interesting interview exclusively in the New York Post. You can go online and read it. I read what I felt were the most compelling parts. Uh, Dana Kennedy, I've known her over the years, a very good reporter, but she, she really weaved it well. 
the most amazing thing is that he's not into social networking. And I know some people out there, oh, he scrubbed it, he scrubbed it. No, no. Truly acts like somebody who does not want to be in the limelight, loves his privacy. But when he said that he wasn't sure who Sharpton was, he doesn't really know celebrities that well. He added that he does not watch the news. And I know there are people like that out there, especially surfers. I mean, I've met surfers in Australia in Perth. I met surfers on the Gold Coast between Brisbane and uh, Sydney uh, and Melbourne. I met surfers in California. I met surfers in Florida. I met surfers in South Carolina. I met surfers in the Rockaways. I met surfers in the Jersey Shore. Most of them don't watch the news. They're at times brain dead. You know, they love to just be beach bums. To me, that's what most of them are. So it doesn't surprise me that he wouldn't know who any of the newsmakers are and that he doesn't watch the news. Ah, that is amazing, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to share that with all of you. The first here at WABC to do so really hasn't made made the major news yet. I guess when he's able to give a full-length interview in which we can hear him and see him, it'll make a difference. But for the time being, very enlightening, apparently very truthful, at least I find it to be very truthful. I'm sure there's some things he's guarded about, some things his uh, lawyers have told him not to discuss. But I get a sense uh, he's not at all what people want to make him out to be. You know, a roided up, jarhead, marine, you know, with anger management issues. Not at all. This guy strikes me not as being thoracic. That means, you know, physical. He's cerebral. Backpacking, visiting foreign countries. A globalist. I know some of you, oh, globalists. I hate globalists. Well, it is who he is. And he just happens to be in the eye of the storm because he was proactive and took action where most other people have been trained under the acronym MYOB, Mind Your Own Business. And to me, it was very important when he was asked by Dana Kennedy of the New York Post, would you do it again if you were faced with the same situation? He said, yes, because uh, I will always do what I think is right. And I will take action if a similar situation were to occur. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Real surfer boy, Daniel Penny turns out to be, apparently having surfed his whole life. He fits the stereotype of every surfer I've ever met. They're really disconnected. Doesn't watch the news. He has social networking. He's just looking for that big wave. I've seen them, the Aussies in Perth. 
in the Gold Coast between Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. Saw them uh, out in Cali, Cali. Oh, a lot of them down towards San Diego, a ton of them. Florida, same thing, South Carolina, Jersey Shore, and the Rockaways. Let me hear it. tell you, uh, I always hated surfers, really hated them, thought they were brain dead. And uh, in this interview, Daniel Penny said he is not a vigilante. Well, uh, uh, I certainly am. Broadway Billy and Avery, they did a documentary uh, called Vigilante. It's about me. I'm tired of saying I'm not a vigilante. Look, uh, they've called me a vigilante for 44 years. I wear the scarlet letter. I'm not judge, jury, and executioner as leader of the guardian angels, but I put my fair share of individuals into chokeholds, headlocks, half Nelsons, full Nelsons, figure fours, and let's just say I've done some other things to them I'm not necessarily going to describe to you because there might not be a statute of limitation. Let's just say every time they hear me, they feel me. Oh, they feel it. Good kidney shots. Let me tell you, one thing I became a master of and jacking somebody up, hit them a few times in the back in their kidney. And all of a sudden, they hey, I did pretty good against Curtis. Hey, yeah, yeah, man. I, I taught that cardiac angel a lesson. And then Broadway Bill Lee, a day later, they're sitting on the porcelain palace and they're screaming in pain. Dialysis, please. Man, that kidney. I know how to bruise a kidney. And you will you will feel Curtis Sliwa for days and days and days. And it doesn't leave any marks. So it's not like hitting a guy in the face and you bust his schnozzola. You're going to get arrested for assault. Nowadays, they'll cut you loose with a disappearance ticket, no doubt. It's not like hitting him in the head with a baseball bat, right? Obviously, you're going to do some damage that's visual. When you hit him with a series of rabbit punches right in the back in the kidney, oh, man, he is going to feel that for a month of Sundays and be cursing your name. Speaking of cursing, there he was in the bully pulpit of the Reverend Johnny Green's church in the heart of Harlem, USA. Al Slim Shady Sharpton was trying to make uh, Daniel Penny out to be a vigilante, a white supremacist, somebody who could not control his anger towards black people. There was no weapons. Nobody was threatened. And you grab them and put them in a chokehold. Two people hold, hold them down. And you go to the precinct and they let you go. If Jordan was impersonating Elvis Presley, if Jordan had been a different race and they had him impersonating Elvis,
And a black guy put Elvis impersonator in a chokehold. And two black guys held him down. They would not have let that black guy leave the precinct that night. It was. Hmm. The hell happened to that cut? Well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I kind of figured it out. Al Slim Shady Sharpton, obviously, is always following the ambulance or the coroner. There's money to be made. He becomes a family advisor. He steers work to the lawyers for wrongful death cases and lawsuits. But this is personal. You know, nobody has mentioned this. No, no, Broadway Billy, nobody has mentioned it. First time. Anybody is mentioning this TV, radio, and conversation. Reverend Al Slim Shady Sharpton has an aversion to chokeholds and headlocks because remember back to the debate staged on uh, the Apollo Theater's main stage area. Packed audience. There were two black men sitting up on that stage. One... Reverend Al Slim Shady Sharpton. And the other, although he's no longer with us, and died a death in which, unfortunately, he suffered dementia. I actually saw him in that state at the Hebrew home for the aged when I was visiting my mother who was rehabbing. The head of the Congress of Racial Equality, Roy Innes. And remember, it was on the Mort Downey Jr. show, the most watched of any Mort Downey Jr. show. Remember, it was on the Superstation, Channel 9, WWOR, Odyssey Caucus. So it had a national audience five nights a week. But this particular show, the argument between Roy Ennis of Core and Al Slim Shady Sharpton, was the most watched Morton Downey Jr. TV event of the many that he did. And remember, there was the time they were arguing. Think back. Broadway Billy, remember Roy Innes put his 24-inch pythons around Al's neck and dragged him off the stage? Do you remember that? That was a headlock. That was a choke. Of course, Al Slim Shady Sharpton hears that anybody has been choked out. Anybody has been put in a headlock. It could be the WWE. It could be an old film of the WWF. You know, he was one of the celebrity participants in the uh, <laughs> the old WWF. The fans rated him the worst performer. But, man, let me tell you something. Roy Innes, to his credit, yoked him right off the stage of the Apollo Theater. It was a headlock. It was a chokehold. And Al Slim Shady Sharpton tapped out. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
remember this uh, theme, Broadway Bill Lee. Whereas the young whippersnapper, uh, Avery, in the midst of preparing, uh, once again, the funniest hour in all of radio coming up from 4 to 5, has no idea what this is the theme to. Rocket J. Squirrel and Bullwinkle the Moose. I think it was on from like 1959 to about 1965. Right in the middle of the Cold War, it was so great because you had Rocket J. Rocky Squirrel and Bullwinkle J. Moose. And remember, who were their antagonists? It was the two Russian spies, Boris Badenov and Natasha Fatale. And who was their shot caller? The fearless leader. And remember, they had offshoots. Dudley Do-Right, the RCMP, and his uh, trusty steed and Nell. And I'm... uh, I'm remembering, I think one of the offshoots was the Fractured Fairy Tales. Uh, they were told in a very comic fashion. <laughs> it was so good. And it sort of reminded me of SpongeBob SquarePants, because SpongeBob SquarePants, although kids would watch it, my, my sons did, it was really a cartoon for adults. Rocket, J. Squirrel, and Bullwinkle. Although kids liked it, I certainly liked it, it appealed to adults as well as the kids. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But the focus was the squirrel. The squirrel had the brains, and if you remember, Bullwinkle died. Although, man, he would he would have quips. He would have that dry humor, that adult humor that we kids couldn't figure out, but the adults could. Very much like SpongeBob SquarePants. Exactly like that. (laughs) And I think, what did they live in? Frostbite Falls, Minnesota, where it would get to be like 80 degrees below zero. Oh, it was so good. So good. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, you're probably wondering, why is Curtis playing the theme song? of Bullwinkle and Rocky. You know, eventually they dissed Rocky and just went with Bullwinkle. They said he was more the the favorable character, which I don't buy. There must have been something going on there. So here is uh, just a few little clips of Rocket J. Squirrel with Bullwinkle on a series that, remember, was so important to a lot of us kids because we were doing the duck and cover underneath our desk, expecting any minute that Nikita Khrushchev would try to fulfill his promise to bury us and incinerate us with his atomic weapons. That's right. We used to have to do the duck and cover and kiss our tuchuses underneath our desks in class. Let's go to the audio tape here, Broadway Bill Lee. In the, uh, I think this was the episode of, uh, well, it's 97. Make sure you hit this uh, right, 97. For those of you who lack horse sense, here is Mr. Know-It-All. Hello, racing fans. Today's topic is entitled, How to Do Stunts in the Movies Without Having the Usher Throw You Out. You see that? Notice how I... 
conflated that to the fact that I'm no longer going to horse races, right? Racing fans, you got that? You got that? For those of you who lack horse sense, here is Mr. Know-it-all. Hello, racing fans. Today's topic is entitled, How to Do Stunts in the Movies Without Having the Usher Throw You Out. Man, it was so good. You would you would listen and you would watch. And I got to tell you, time and time again, you would say, oh, Bullwinkle. Bullwinkle is dim-witted. But he had the bulk of the adult humor. He was a pun master. Now, I'm not talking big pun, the rapper who dropped dead because uh, of his girth. I'm talking he was a pun master extraordinaire, Bullwinkle. Check this out. Can you lead us out of this desert, Mr. Rabu Ben Boris? <laughs> Call me Ben. Well, can you? You said it, Effendi. Well, let's get started then. It's only one little hitch. What's that? You ready to pay? Pay? Where's all that desert hospitality I've heard so much about? Oh, I'm hospitable. You can stay as long as you like, free from charge. But what if we want to leave? And we do. Then you pay. Very well. Here's all the money I have. Money? Who needs money? We do, darling. Share up your veil, Fatimi. Well, what do you want? Hmm. You got any other valuables? Jewels? Deed to mines? Deeds to mines? I'm just spitballing, you understand? Yeah, we got one of those. Well, then we're in business. But it belongs to Bullwinkle. No, so quick we're out of business. Say, where is Bullwinkle? Oh, he's right out there. Sure enough, Bullwinkle was right out there, out like a light. Bullwinkle, old pal, speak to me. Howdy, stranger. Stranger? Bullwinkle, it's me, Rocky. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Rocky. He doesn't know me. Bullwinkle, don't you remember? We're on the way to your Uncle Dulap's mine. Mine? Sure. Don't you have the deed? You know, you're pretty nosy for somebody I just met. Rocky, I do believe he has amnesia. Yeah. Never mind that. Does he have deed to mine? Looks like we'll never know, Boris. He's lost his memory. If they don't have deed to mine, who needs them? Well, we must be off. But you can't leave us to perish in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Watch carefully. <laughs> and with one mighty swipe of his scimitar, Boris cut the guy ropes of the tent. Instantly, it collapsed on Rocky and Captain Peach Fuzz. Well, now they can't follow us. Let's go, Natasha. I'm the sneak of Erebi. And the two villains hurried off across the desert, leaving our heroes floundering under the folds of canvas. That was so good. Did you pick up some of those puns in that little discussion between their nemesis, their adversaries, Boris and Natasha? That was so good. Uh, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, again, you must be wondering. Look, at Broadway Billy and Avery are looking at me in a perplexed manner. It's like, why the hell am I playing cuts of Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? We're not... Oh, well, if you listen to Gordon Chang, you would think we were in the middle of a Cold War and that the Red Chinese are going to drop the big ones in a day or two. Uh, we're not going to discuss that in the upcoming hours because Gordon Chang is always discussing what he thinks is going to be Armageddon at the hands of Emperor Xi, Emperor for Life. Anyway, I digress. So let's go to the heart of the matter. John Katsimatidis, who you know, is the owner and operator and the savior of this station with his wife, Margot, created Red Apple Entertainment uh, to basically cover 
the resurrection and the resumption of broadcasting of WABC. We were on the scrap heap. Cumulus was pretty much at the point of readying, uh, readying itself to count us out, just like they had turned the lights off on that other iconic station on the FM side, WPLJ. No longer exists. They had no problem pulling the plug on PLJ. And we're moments away from pulling the plug on WABC. And I'll tell you this, Broadway Bill Lee, I would have had to have learned to speak in Urdu because it could have become Pakistani radio. Hindi could have become Indian radio. Maybe Yiddish could have become uh, Jewish language radio. Spanish, because uh, let's face it, there are a whole host of Spanish stations, La Vega, Wado, or Russian, because there are a hell of a lot of Russian stations out there, too. Any one of them could have bought the stick of the most iconic station ever to exist. The call letters, WABC. And John and Margot Katsimatidis swooped in and saved the station, resurrected it, and got it back to being the number one news talk station in the nation. But at times, John does not do his program in the traditional sense. He gets a little quirky, which is great, because if he's been doing something on the spur of the moment, and he doesn't understand it, he throws the information out to his vast audience, hundreds of thousands of people who listen to John and Rita Cosby, his partner, with all of their, uh, I guess we could call them contributing hosts and hostesses. Uh, They like to have Democrats and Republicans, and naturally they have a lot of guests. But he threw this question out because a Sunday ago he was sitting in Central Park. Remember how beautiful it was that that Sunday? I remember remarking during the program, man, it was drop-dead gorgeous. You couldn't have a better day. And he's sitting there with his daughter, Andrea, who is... uh, the uh, chairwoman of the Manhattan GOP, and they're trying to feed squirrels. Trying to feed squirrels. This is what he had to say. And again, you and your daughter were wondering, where did all those squirrels go? You were sitting out there ready to feed them, and there were no squirrels whatsoever. And naturally, my wife, the animal welfare expert, and she is in Central Park so often that at times when there's a lunar eclipse or a full moon, she bays to the moon on one of the rocks because her nickname is Lone Wolf One. So she knows all about the animals. So there's two reasons. A, number one, you have tree squirrels and you have ground squirrels in life. We have tree squirrels in Central Park. That's where they live. They go up and down. Unfortunately, the Parks Department, because they don't like having to clean up all the, uh, the seeds and everything that comes from the female trees, have planted all male trees. And the male trees have caused more pollen than ever before. And New Yorkers are suffering miserably. So, so are the, are the, are, are, are the uh, squirrels dead? Or no, they're missing? no, no. Squirrels like... Are we find a, a missing squirrel report? Squirrels need the, <laughs> they need the female trees. They don't like the male trees. All right, so here's the so message. So what happened to them? Wait, wait, are, wait. They, are they gone? Here's the message. They clearly... People like females better. That's the message, right? Is There's that no the message? There's no doubt, but okay. secondarily... I like females better. <laughs> no, I hope so. Uh, okay, but... Thank you, John. You know, I don't know many gay squirrels out there, but I'm sure there are a few. Like the male so trees. Well, you have one, right? So not having enough of the female trees has caused them not to reproduce, which is a problem. 
Have they died from the poison they're feeding the uh, Well, rats? that's the other problem. Remember, that's rodent poison. It's not just rat poison. It's rodent poison. And the, uh, the squirrel is a rodent. It's related to the chipmunk. It's related to the rats. So, they kill, so whoever laid the, uh, the uh, rat poison. The pellets. They put the pellets they down. They killed our squirrels. Yep. Yep. And guess Can we who, file a report? Guess who didn't <coughs> die? Who? The, the rats. The rats. <laughs> right. wow. the rats are smarter than the squirrels. But so, now, aren't there other animals, too? Other people, we were talking yesterday. It's not even just our be- beautiful oh, little absolutely. fuzzy squirrels. There's other animals, Dogs right? have died because of this rat. How yep. scary is that, Curtis? So it goes beyond. Yeah, so, again, they keep uh, circling this rat problem. I got to tell you, I had volunteered to be the rat czar for the city because I know rats. You want to kill the squirrels. Well, no, because, again, you can't beat the rats. You can only control them. You can't beat them. Stay on top of it. We have to solve the the squirrel problem. He's a rat expert. My daughter daughter is crying over those squirrels. Rocket J. Squirrel. We We, grew up with Rocket J. Squirrel and Boeing. Absolutely. And I'm glad we realized women are better. Well, that was a discussion we had on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion. But it consumed other aspects because now John Katsimatidis was obsessed with trying to find out what the hell happened to all the squirrels in Central Park. He's sitting out there with Andrea. They're ready to feed the squirrels last Sunday. Drop dead gorgeous day. And he wasn't getting any answers. Now, I don't think he was all that satisfied with my answers. So he went on about the rat poison. Uh, oh, they, no. the, people were saying to me that the rat poison they put out for the for the rats uh, might be killing the squirrels too. I haven't heard that, but you know, I, I know that it's a problem with with dogs. You got to watch your animals. I had a friend's dog die from eating rat poison in New York City not too long ago. So, well, wow! Somebody, uh, if you have anybody that can check it out, we we can't lose our squirrels. Yeah, 1,000%. Well, that's something Donald Trump can run on, too, in 2024. Let's save the squirrels. Yeah, He'll yeah. protect save the border. Save the squirrels in Central Park. Wait, protect the squirrels and protect the border. By the way, Laura, i got to ask you about this big breaking news that just came out. Eric Adams of New York just came out and said that 50% of New York City's hotel rooms are filled with migrants. That's like over 50,000 hotel rooms. We'll be discussing that coming up. That was Laura Trump, the daughter-in-law of Donald Trump. They're both John Katzmatidis, Rita Cosby, and their contributors were talking to. And notice, he was so obsessed and so upset, along with his daughter, Andrea uh, Katzmatidis, the Manhattan GOP chairwoman, that that was the initial question he asked Laura Trump. Uh, what about the squirrels? And Laura Trump, being a good spokesperson for Trump, as she is, immediately say, elect Trump, and you will get your squirrels back. Now, uh, one thing I know about Donald Trump, he is not animal friendly. He never had a cat. He never had a dog. He never really professed to liking uh, animals. Although, to his credit, he was not in support of big game hunting like his uh, two uh, sons are. He actually uh, chastised them, criticized them, and say, "Well, you're going to go out there with a big gun and kill an elephant or an elk or another creature there in the in the uh, sort of Kalahari Desert." Very interesting, right? Our squirrel talk. 
Well, now I've got to come up with additional answers, so I've done the deep dive. Well, I actually am the presenter of this. It was really Nancy, our animal welfare expert, who has done the deep dive. And remember, she's uh, in Central Park. Every time there's an eclipse, every time there's a half moon, and she's on that big boulder leading into the rambles, and she's howling, howling like a wolf because her nickname is Lone Wolf One. So when she's howling on that rock, all of the animals in the park, whether it's Flacco, remember the the falcon who, no, make that the owl who escaped, who has now been feeding on rats and mice at night because owls are nocturnal. Remember, remember, he's still out there, Flacco. The problem is the rat poison. Sometimes, whether they are falcons, whether they are owls, regardless of which predators are seizing on the rats, the mice, and the other rodents, if they've ingested these pesticides, these rat poisons, then those animals who are snatching them up, if they begin to eat them, if that's like part of their dietary consumption, then they will suffer a horrible death because these pesticides will cause their internal, their stomach to implode. It's nasty. Wow, Broadway, Bill Lee, you're not on your game, man. I haven't heard uh, Nancy uh, baying to the moon. There she is. So when she goes into the park, which she does often, especially because she's very nocturnal, and she starts howling at the moon when there's a eclipse or a full moon, all the animals in the park actually begin moving in her direction. So she's become quite the expert on squirrels. Do you know who the biggest expert of all is on squirrels? Bigger expert than Nancy and anyone else. We were talking about uh, the USMC Marine saying that he is not, I repeat, Daniel Penny is saying he was not a vigilante. The person that most people think about when they think what Daniel Penny did on that F train at 2.30 in the afternoon, restraining Neely, putting him down on the ground with a headlock, a chokehold, aided and abetted in that process by two good Samaritans who have been called bad Samaritans by Outslam Shady Sharpton, who wants them arrested and charged with manslaughter also, and you know they're hunting them down as we speak. But the number one expert on squirrels in all of New York City is Bernard Getz, the subway gunman. When I visited him in his apartment, right there, he hasn't... He hasn't left. He's still there at 14th Street near 6th Avenue. He actually, when he came to New York and he wanted to rent an apartment, there was a guy there who was a fixture in talk radio at the old WMCA. WMCA at that time was the big talker. WABC, we were spinning stacks of wax top 40. Cousin Bruce, he was uh, the number one DJ, greatest of all time. So you went to WMCA if you wanted to talk. Bob Grant was there. Barry Gray was there. John Sterling did sports and was like a Bob Grant of sports, barking and hollering at kids, calling up with 
Stratomatic uh, different trades they had in mind. Uh, you had Long John Nebel and Candy Jones. It was a great station, owned by R. Peter Strauss and his family. Ironically, in the future, R. Peter Strauss uh, had a stepdaughter. And that stepdaughter turned out to be Monica Lewinsky, uh, who had gone to the University of Portland in Oregon and then uh, became an intern, as you know, for Bill Clinton. Uh, and the stained dress, the blue stained dress. When R. Peter Strauss was asked, what do you think of the president basically hitting on your stepdaughter who was an intern? Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you must be angry. R. Peter Strauss said, no, I'm not angry. Bill Clinton is a good friend of Israel. Whatever Bill Clinton wants, Bill Clinton gets. And if it means my stepdaughter, Monica Lewinsky, gets the snack on uh, Monica, so be it. I kid you not, that's what he said. That was a family-owned radio station like this is now. Now, this is, you almost never find family-owned radio stations any longer. I believe John and Margot uh, are the last of the Mohicans. Can I say that? Can I say the last of the Mohicans? Or will white people claim that I'm offending Indian people who will never get offended by these things? But it's these white people, these hipsters and millennials will say, oh, what, what do you hate, Indians? What are you, uh, xenophobe? No. But they are the last of the Mohicans because most of these radio stations, in fact, all of them are owned by conglomerates, Cumulus, iHeart, other major conglomerates. Back then, you had uh, WMCA, we're talking in the 60s and 70s, owned by R. Peter Strauss and his family. They actually worked at the station like John and Margot do here. You had uh, Buckley. The Buckley family owned WOR, Women's Only Radio, later on. And it was a family-run operation. I remember the daughter was there, and she was the head of sales. And they were trying to recruit me to cross over the Maginot line to leave WABC and come. And you know who they wanted me to replace uh, at WOR at that time? Michael Weiner who I believe was on from about 6 to 9 or 7 to 10. And they wanted me to come over because they couldn't sell Michael Weiner, a.k.a. Michael Savage. He had big ratings, but advertisers wouldn't touch him. That never worked out. Then there was another time they wanted me to come over and do mornings. John Gambling wasn't there. He was actually at WABC. He was mid-morning. He followed me and Kubi. So when uh, they hired Don Imus and his crew, Bernard McGurk, and then eventually Sid Rosenberg, and replaced us, they fired Ron Kuby and they warehoused me and had me do a syndicated talk show from WABC at night to FM and AM stations around the country. And that was going quite well. But WOR wanted me to do mornings because, remember, John Gambling was doing mid-mornings at WABC from 10 to 12 And he just didn't fit WABC. You had to be highly opinionated at WABC. So when when, uh, I was blocked, a court injunction blocked uh, Buckley from hiring me to do mornings at uh, the old WOR. This guy Suleiman was in charge. What a snake, Usinit of Citadel. Somebody at WOR 
Uh, Loose Lips had sunk ships. They didn't want me at WOR, so they informed my parent company, Citadel. The CEO was Suleiman. If if any of you know him, spit at his feet. He drags me into a room with a bunch of other suits and says, you ain't going nowhere. We're going to keep you in a closet. We got you under contract. You can't broadcast for two years. It's an ironclad contest. Uh, contract, and we'll, we'll we'll take this to the United States Supreme Court if necessary. So I go meet with Buckley, the family operator of WOR, who was always half in the bag by the time noon came. You could light up a match, and we all would have been blown to kingdom come. And he punked out, said, no, 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 I'm not going to go. I'm not going to bring you over. It'll be a lawsuit, and I don't want to take on Suleiman. I don't want to take on Citadel. That was was already bankrupt. Already bankrupt. He could have won. I would have been doing mornings at WOR, Women's Only Radio. So when I knew I was boxed in, I went down to Don Pepe's, the pizza parlor right there in Penn Station, where John Gambling met me on the hush, hush, mush, mush. And I looked at John and I said, John, they're not going to be able to hire me at WR to do mornings, you need to leave WABC and go back to where everybody knows you and you can be the old John Gambling. Non-controversial, not heavily opinionated, and fit WOR, which has always stood for women's only radio. He did that, and once again, he was back on top of his game. He never fit WABC. He never fit WABC. It was not a good fit. Well, boy, he went back to mornings at uh, WOR and became the old John Gambling, like his grandfather, like his father. They first started broadcasting at the old Bamberger's near Main and Broad Street. No, make that Broad Street and Market Street in downtown Newark when they had all the big retail stores at Bamberger's, so many other big stores. And they were broadcasting from Bamberger's. Just about the same time that we started in Newark, on top of the factory, the warehouse of Westinghouse that was manufacturing radios. And they needed a station because they said, we're making these radios, but there's not enough stations. So they decided, well, let's make our own station, WJZ. And they started broadcasting from the roof. It was a little chicken coop the way you got to the Broadcasting studio was you had to climb up a ladder on the side of the warehouse that was down neck, uh, right near the ironbound section, which is Portuguese now in Newark. And then they moved to New York. And now you know the rest of the story. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. But I think in um, analyzing this, really should have Bernard Getz give advice as to what happened to all the squirrels in Central Park and Prospect Park because he has squirrels in his apartment. I've actually seen them there years ago. Bernard Getz is very eccentric. I'll be kind to him. He had taken over the apartment of Alex Bennett, who was on at nights uh, from about 9 to 12 at WMCA His theme song used to be, Do You Want to Be a Bird? But he went back to San Francisco where he originally started his broadcast career at Camel and gave up the apartment. And the guy who came in was Bernard Getz, and he's been there ever since. 
rides the trains, walks the street, hangs out in Washington Square Park, takes care of the squirrels there. If they're sick or they're in need of medical treatment, he gets them that. And believe it or not, Broadway Bill Lee, he's got squirrels in his apartment. I've been there twice, and I've seen squirrels there. He he has them the way you would have dogs and cats. He's the real squirrel expert. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. at 1-800-848-WABC. 77-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Oftentimes known laden as listen to this classic song, Which Side Are You On? Gnome Laden, our news director, is a diaper, red diaper doper baby. Yep. Grew up in a communist household, went to commie camp in Maryland in the suburbs. And you know who his camp counselor was, uh, Broadway Bill Lee? Matt Drudge. That's right, of the Drudge Report. And so when I played this song the other day, Pete Seeger who was a card-carrying American communist, although nice guy, met him many times, and he had that Lenin cap. I'm not talking John Lennon of the Beatles. I'm talking Vladimir Lenin of the uh, Communist Party. He uh, would play that banjo, and he would sail up and down the Hudson River trying to recover it from all the pollution that existed, and he did a great job. He's a great spoke. Hey, yeah, it was a commie. A lot of commies back then. Him, Paul Robeson, number of others. But I had respect for him. Total respect. And you couldn't meet a nicer guy. He'd always be smiling. In fact, uh, he was so nice uh, that uh, if you uh, you had diabetes, uh, you'd have an insulin attack. He was so sweet. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Gentlemen, I believe, since you're not paying attention, Avery, nor you, Broadway, Billy, you didn't bring your A game today, that your phone system is frozen. Absolutely frozen. Now, trust me, I've been doing this 35 years. Avery, naturally, the young uh, whippersnapper, Huckleberry that he is, he's like, oh, it's not frozen, right? I guarantee you it's frozen. You're not on your A-game either, Avery. You've been so immersed in uh, bisecting and dissecting Frank Morano's The Other Side of Midnight for the past week, 20 hours. I realize it's made you ubats. You have to listen to Frank Morano for 20 hours. And it's like one, one gag after another gag, and he's not even aware of it. It affects him. Yes, gentlemen, I want to apologize to all of our listeners out there. Our uh, phone lines are frozen. 
It must be from uh, the drenching rains that uh, cause our phone lines to be affected. Oh, wait, Avery is coming in here. What are you, uh, Atex? Uh, are you the Atex repair guy for our computer here? Uh, wait a second. He's trying to uh, fix it if he can. Oh, no, no, I know that. I know that. Uh, but still, I, I want to see Avery work his magic. He is rebooting the com- computer. He thinks that's going to work. I'm telling him the problem is the squirrels were on the roof. They knew I would be talking about them. And if you've ever seen the damage that squirrels can cause in a house, when the squirrels get inside of the house and in the walls, you try getting out those squirrels. And you know what the remedy is for the squirrels? Two of them. You can either catch them and transport them hundreds of miles away and they'll never get back. But if you only drop them like uh, the illegal aliens, you catch them at the border and you drive them four miles into Mexico, catch and release, they come back. Oh, he's fixed it. Avery, Avery has fixed it. Yes. Absolutely magnificent. Avery has multitasked. What we had up were the phone calls from three days ago. How the hell did that happen? But through the magic of Avery, he actually said a prayer. You know, Avery is the holy roller here. Uh, Broadway Billy, he's the heathen. I'm the AMP Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. Then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. But Avery actually goes to church every Sunday, listens to what the pastor said. And look, he repaired it. This is great. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. All right, uh, enough of the banjo playing there, right? We know which side you're on. You're either going to drown squirrels. That's one of the ways of eliminating them. There have actually been cases where people will catch squirrels that have embedded themselves in the house, and they do a lot of damage because they got four teeth, and the teeth are constantly growing. That's why you always see a squirrel. They're on their hind legs, right, you know, resting on their furry tail. And <laughs> it's not just to eat the nuts that they gather up. It's also to uh, hone down the teeth because they only have four teeth, and the teeth continue to grow and grow and grow. So by constantly gnawing on nuts, walnuts, um, whatever they find out, they're foraging on it, it whittles down their teeth. For those of you who lack horse sense, here is Mr. Know-It-All. Hello, racing fans. Today's topic is entitled, How to do stunts in the movies without having the usher throw you out. You catch that pun? Uh, That was a little adult humor there. I I caught it. I went, went right over Avery's head. He's a little too young to figure that one out. But uh, they would catch squirrels as they did in the south shore of Long Island, and they would drown them. And how disgusting. That was like when Eric Adams uh, had a demonstration when he was Brooklyn Borough president inside of his office, and he drowned rats and then ladled them out, thinking that was going to stop him. If anything... They found out about it, and now they've had revenge on it. We have more rats than ever before. You know, rats are smart. Mice are dumb. Squirrels, medza, medza, poco, poco. They're not the brightest, but they're not the dumbest either. 
They go around gathering up nuts, store them in the tree trunks where they live so that they can withstand the cold, but they don't hibernate. They're not like bears. They're not like other animals who will hibernate. When we used to have real winters, you know, when you'd have to hunker down for a few months because it would be like 40 degrees below zero and you'd need three pair of long winter underwear with the union uh, flap on the back, union trap on the back, so you can sit on the porcelain palace. If not, it would be pretty messy. Uh, the squirrels we have in Central Park and Prospect Park are the gray squirrels. And I will tell you this out of what I've learned about squirrels, that the female squirrel can produce about two litters of young per year with the major breeding seasons between December and January and between May and June. A litter would consist of two to four of the little critters. Now, males, they're called boars, Uh, This might be of good use to males out there, two-legged males. They keep their testicles inside their bodies until it's breeding time. So maybe Dylan Mulvaney, the transgender, you know, who started all that by being an influencer, having 10 million followers on Instagram, and then uh, Budweiser Light, remember, sent her a few cans with her facha on it and said, hey, Maybe you can influence a new generation, transgenders, to drink uh, Bud Light. I was walking around and everyone was staring. And I was like, oh, okay, what's going on? And they were all staring directly at my crotch. And I went, oh, I forgot that my crotch doesn't look like other women's crotches sometimes because mine doesn't look like a little Barbie pocket. Peekaboo, we see you. But if only she could learn from the male squirrels who keep their testicles inside their bodies until it's breeding time. Then they would look like a female squirrel. Ah, you see, you wouldn't know if they're a male or female squirrel. The dominant male usually gets the mate. The male and female then have a short courtship, very short courtship because they have the urge to merge, before she enters her breeding cycle. After breeding, the males have no interaction with their young. (laughs) Isn't that so common nowadays, right? Amongst humans, amongst other animal species, not so with like eagles and others, like wolves. Like my wife has always told me, since she is lone wolf one and goes into Central Park whenever there's an eclipse, whenever there's a full moon and bays to the moon, she said, I said, well, why, why do you like wolves? Because she said they mate for life. They mate for life, and when they have cubs, the male wolf uh, does as much work as the female wolf. They mate for life. That's it. You got the wolf. It's like eagles. That's it. Not like the squirrels. who get a little frisky, and then they're off to um, have the urge to merge with other female squirrels. They're players. Rocket J. Squirrel was a player. You just never knew that. And did you know that he was hiding his testicles in his body until it was time to mate? You didn't know that, did you? The typical pregnancy for a female squirrel lasts between 40 and 45 days. And the babies are born hairless. Their eyes and ears closed, and they only weigh half an ounce. 
The young squirrels, though, become sexually mature at the end of their first year. Then it's breakout time. They're scurrying about looking for female squirrels. The life cycle of a squirrel in the wild averages about six years, depending on the amount of food available, predators, disease, and weather. In captivity, some squirrels live up to 15 years. And the best place for squirrels to live is in hollow dens inside a tree. Female squirrels with babies will not allow other squirrels to share the den, even though squirrels are social animals. If a den is not found, they will make leaf nests, but that severely impacts the survival rate of the baby squirrels. Everyone knows that squirrels like nuts. You know, they really do. Lick my shaved nuts. Not quite that way. That's Sid Rosenberg, who actually, the Gavon, he goes into the bathroom. He never locks the bathroom. And you walk in there because you have to sit on the porcelain palace, and he's shaving his his uh, cocktail onions. Lick my shaved nuts. But if there isn't enough, squirrels will eat berries and other fruits, flowers, mushrooms. Yeah, they'll have shrooms and have a psychedelic attack. That's where it's at. And even the occasional small animal. Squirrels, again, do not hibernate and are active during the day. They are territorial and noisy, especially during mating season. Knock it off there! Cut the racket out! And tend to be social except when rearing their young. Chasing is used for playmating and guarding their territory. I think I've told you about everything I know about squirrels. I think I have satisfied the curiosity. John Katzmatidis, yep, the rat poison is the thing that is depleting the number of squirrels out there. No doubt about it. In Central Park. And in Prospect Park. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Here we come. Walk down the street. Get funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. What the hell, man? You're off your A game tonight, Broadway Billy. Go back to WCBS FM. I guess you need your partner, uh, Joe Corsi, there. I don't know what's going on. It must have been the rain today. I got soaked right down to the marrow of my bone. Anyway, we'll go to the phones now that Avery has reconfigurated. And gotten the dischronificator working. Let's go to John in Freehold, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Hey, Curtis. Um, just a little bit about the squirrels. Uh, there's, they did a study in uh, 2019, and they tried counting all the squirrels in Central Park. So they came up with uh, like 2,300 and something squirrels back in 2019, which 80% were the gray squirrels. Wow, that's interesting because the most squirrels I've ever seen, I was living in uh, Forest Hills for a while, and I would walk past the Forest Hills Tennis Stadium, 
which at one time hosted the U.S. Open, uh, that now is over in Flushing Meadow Park in uh, Jack Armstrong, no, 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 Louis Armstrong Stadium. Uh, and uh, I always saw squirrels coming out from everywhere there. Now I see the community is like they're suing one another because there's part of the community that want those concerts to continue, like uh, existed when the monkeys were the headliner, and all of a sudden the opening act was a guitar guy from uh, Seattle, Washington, who had his song Purple Haze, and he got booed off the stage. You know who that was? Jimi Hendrix, because the fans wanted the monkeys. Then they discontinued the concerts. Now they're back. Now they're doubling up on the concerts. And I have it from my uh, uh, youngest son, Hunter, that the squirrels are upset because there are more concerts than ever before. They're louder. They're disturbing the peace. Uh, it's creating a situation of unlawful assembly in many of the neighborhoods. I guarantee you this. If uh, Rudy Giuliani had been mayor and they tried to... Uh, Restart those concerts in Forest Hills Tennis Stadium. Never would have had it. He would have closed it down for noise abatement. I mean, I remember passing by and hearing some of those uh, those concerts. Outrageous. If you lived in a nearby area, you're hearing the F-bomb, uh, the, especially the rappers, degenerates, the crowd that they attract. What the hell is that? They get off at 71st and Continental. They come in off the F train, the E train, the R train. Or they come in off the Long Island Railroad Station. And, I mean, they lay siege to the neighborhood. And even the squirrels don't want to hang around. Anyway, let's go to uh, Gary calling from Inwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Good morning, Curtis. Uh, Where I am up in Inwood, uh, part of a park is called Isham Park which is directly outside my window in the building I live in. There's a substantial amount of squirrels there. Been that way since I've been here. And they're frequent. They're physically five feet from where I am. And I, I see them all the time. And they're well fed by the residents of the neighborhood. And there's also a strain of black squirrels. Too. Black squirrels? Approximately, there's a family of five. But did they join Black Lives Matter? Hello. He missed that. That one right over his head. Which has now become big, large mansions. Anyway, let's go to get, uh, what we did, Gary. Let's go to Pete in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Hey, Curtis. I'm out feeding my feral cat colony. I got a couple. I got like four of them. I got one that lives outside. It's 29 years old. Awesome. Toad Hill Road. Wow. And uh, they are now uh, over at the Berry Homes, all the turkeys and the squirrels are disappearing because we got a bunch of peanuts that we pick up that we feed them, my friend and I, and there's none of them. They're spraying something. I don't know what it is. They spray in the grounds with it, and everything is disappearing. So, Wow. You know, I'll never forget, Pete, I had just been given the Staten Island GOP endorsement to, uh, what the hell is that, Pete? Oh, that's my motorcycle. I'm out on the ride. That's what I take to feed the cats. I'm out with my friend Fred on his Holly Davidson, and I got mine. 
Wow. And that's what we're doing. We're just pulling over in a Wendy's and talking to my friend, my hero that should be mayor of New York, if he was. I used to play stickball with you a little bit. Me and my wife, Renee, used to come and hang out. And then I hung out at the um, uh, Andrew Diner when you and Kubi did the remote. Oh, yeah. No, no, I, I, I remember that. And uh, Kubi was uh, drinking that grapple afterwards. You know, the Greeks uh, love that. I think it's grapple. Tiganin's that, right? It's stronger. He knocked him on his ass. I like that when he got knocked on his butt. But anyway, I think I'll be out in Staten Island this week. That 13-year-old got shot right in the head at the Stapleton Projects. Nobody's doing anything about it. A lot of cops responded. Did not see the city councilwoman there from the North Shore, Camelia Hanks, respond. That's why we're running our own candidate on a special line, safe Staten Island streets. You'll see us gathering signatures for Roussillon. Uh, the Republicans decided not to run anybody. The crime is up there 268%. 268% just in the North Shore alone. Murders are skyrocketing, and they didn't run a Republican candidate. So guess what? The Ronald Reagan Republican Club that we just opened up, we're running a candidate, and he's running on the independent line against the cop hater. Remember her name, Camelia Hanks. Uh, 13-year-old kid, unfortunately, got shot right in the head, chased down the block from the basketball court in Stapleton, and they have not caught the shooter. So I'm going out there. I'm going to deal with that. Uh, I know Stapleton very well. I know Park Hill very well. West Brighton. I know uh, Mariners Harbor. These projects there. Tough. Tough projects. But they were in check when Rudy was mayor. Bloomberg was mayor. Then they started getting uh, wild and crazy again under Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of the dope from Park Slope. And now... It's out of control under Adams. Staten Island has had the largest crime increase it's ever had. Mid-Island is up at about 48%. North Shore at about 268%. And it shows no sign of lessening. So get ready. Curtis Lee was coming out there. It's time for a little bit of law and order. Curtis Lee was style because I got to tell you, I don't think uh, many Republicans... uh, and most Democrats don't give a damn, nor the district attorney who's not being challenged, the ambulance chaser, McMahon. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
What the hell is happening, Broadway Bill Lee? Man, what is going on there? They truncate J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, Jenny around the block. Well, let me tell you something. I don't like Jennifer Lopez. She's a diva of all divas, but I was reminded of her on Friday. I was up at Patricia's. Great restaurant in Throg's Neck. There's another Patricia's down in Morris Park. I was sitting there with George Van Havernack. Make that have Havernack. He's running in the 13th uh, City Council District. I'm supporting him in the Republican primary and then in the general election. Got to get rid of Marjorie Velasquez. Such a traitor. Stabbed everybody in the back. Said that she would fight up zoning, and then at the last minute she sold out after a meeting with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who probably gave her more discretionary funds or sweetened her up, who knows what. But George uh, Havernack has been there for years, community organizer, member of the community board, knows where all the bones are buried, who buried them, and especially on this issue. So we sat in the back, uh, George uh, Havernack, and his assistants, and we pulled the maps out. And they started looking at all the areas of the 13th Councilmanic District, which I won uh, overwhelmingly from Eric Adams. Uh, I did very well there. So we expect uh, George Hav Havernack to do very well. Please, if you're a Republican, you got to vote for him in the primary. That's June 27th. And then the general election, which I believe is November 7th. we got to get rid of... Uh, we got to get rid of Marjorie Velasquez. She is who But the reason I bring all of that up is, as we were sitting there in the back area of Patricia's, Preston High School was having its graduation celebration. Some of the parents were there with their children. Preston is the high school, Catholic high school, very prestigious, that Jenny on the block, Jennifer Lopez, who truly was from the Bronx, Grew up in Castle Hill, went to Preston High School, which is in the neck. It's a very good high school. And I've seen Preston High School appear in parades. Uh, It's a female high school. I believe I've never seen any males go there. And they really perform well in parades. Really good school by all accounts. Uh, A lot of people will send their children, their daughters to Preston, even though they're not Catholic, because they get such a good education. They just have to absorb... That part that does teach theology and religion, which is the Roman Catholic religion. So Jenny, diva of all divas, never liked her, but legitimately from the Bronx. Sandy Ocasio, that's AOC, all out out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Sandy Cortez, that was a real name up in Westchester where she lived most of her life. Uh, maybe she had a cup of coffee, a cup of Bustello in Parkchester in the co-ops there. But she, she lived up there. And I think it was Yorktown Heights. Uh, Yorktown Heights, not Terrytown Heights. Yorktown Heights, I believe. Maybe I'm confused on that one. Anyway, the average um, salary up there is about 128000 Not the wealthiest of Westchester cities will go through that. Scarsdale. And my idea of putting illegal aliens there because their their county executive, George Latimer, unlike the other surrounding county executives, especially uh, Ed Day, Republican from Rockland County, says no. No illegal aliens from New York City here. 
Steve Newhouse, what a pendejo. He got spun around like a top by Eric Adams. We'll get into that. Finally, he has a temporary restraining order. He filed for that on Friday. And then, of course, you have George Latimer, who is welcoming in the illegal aliens. We're going to get into all of that because I will tell you that uh, um, our uh, colleague here, Rob Astorino, has done an outstanding job going back on this whole illegal uh, alien issue. Better than anybody here at WABC. I think better than anybody in the tri-state area because he was... uh, like Paul Revere warning us years ago when the flights were coming in late at night under the cover cover of darkness, unmarked planes uh, that were subcontracted by the federal government to fly in illegal aliens into Westchester County Airport and Stewart Airport in Newburgh and Orange County. But we'll get to that momentarily. Let's get back to uh, AOC All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Went to high school in Westchester, grew up uh, privileged, not in the hood like she claims. And remember, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, I I did a, a song, remember, to, uh, oh, you still can't find it. What the hell is going on here? Man, you and Avery, you got to bring it up, man. I'm, I'm going to take your letters away. In varsity, when you play varsity sports, you would walk around with a, a leaded sweater or a leaded jacket, and if all of a sudden you weren't ready for prime time, we'd put you back on the JV. We'd, we'd take your leaded sweater away. Now, let's see if uh, you can play the actual AOC song that I created a long time ago for All Out Crazy. AOC. Yeah, you know me. This was funny. Curtis is what Curtis was doing. I like this. AOC. Yeah, you know me. This is clever as far as Curtis goes. Over and over and over again. AOC. Yeah, you well, know you gotta me. Understand, he never stops. On the weekend, especially if he's filling in for me on a Friday, which was the case, he's got 25 hours to fill. So, I mean, a lot of that, 20 of those hours, is just repeating the same thing over and over again. You got, you get, you got two hours of original content multiplied by 20. That's what's going to happen. So uh, I, I I thought that was going to be much worse. That's actually pretty clever. I, and it is catchy, I must say. It, it, it's really bad, and it's not catchy, and it was horrible. And I, it, it, it actually, really, I was enraged. Well, I uh, may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to death your right to say it. As What are you talking about, Frank? She said she was enraged. Who the hell is this wench? I mean, Broadway Billy, that's... The one who puts together the Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo podcast, right? What was Shiaba? What is her name? Person of no consequence. She's enraged because I do something creative. Hey, maybe you should start doing something creative with Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo, who's dull, boring, and will not apologize for all of his misnomers. The reason I mention that is. We're giving him a third chance, Madonna Mai. Strike one, strike two, the first two appearances on WABC was not well received by our listeners because the guy showed no humility, would not apologize for all the bad things that he did. He just wanted to talk about the good things that he did and be a commentator. You know, like we care what he thinks about. Yeah, we would. 
if he would first take that first step that we saw that Anthony Weiner did more than a year ago when I teamed up with him on left versus right, and this guy had to fall on his sword over and over and over, and rightfully so, and apologize for his actions. Or he would never have been accepted. Nobody would listen to him. And that's exactly what this omnipotent, pretentious uh, Andrew Cuomo must do. He's got the same uh, mentality as Trump, except he doesn't have a cult following like Trump does. And the Cuomosexuals have abandoned ship on him. Remember when he used to do the noon broadcast with the PowerPoint, you know, in the middle of lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020? And all the homosexuals were watching as they had their, their new touch, the cafe, and they'd be scared. And they would see his nipple rings, you know, through his polo shirt. And they'd get all excited and stimulated. And then he crashed and burned and had to resign as governor of the state of New York. So he's doing a podcast now. And I guess that woman, what's her name? Shiavo? Avery, what, what, what is that woman's name of no consequence? Who joins Frank, it seems like, once a week and her claim to fame is she's the producer of the Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo podcast that nobody listens to, that they're trying to monetize. They want people to pay to listen to that crap. I think it's Marlena Chavo or something like that. Chavo. Marlena She's a wench. She's a wench saying that. Uh, well, well, could you play that again, uh, please, Broadway Billy? I, I need to hear that again. I, I mean, I get so enraged hearing this. This uh, rookie, right, a person who couldn't even couldn't even perform here at WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation, a claim to fame is she's the producer who puts out those those horrible Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo podcasts. AOC, yeah, you know me. AOC, yeah, you know me. This was funny. Curtis is what Curtis was doing. I like this. AOC. Yeah, you know me. This is clever as far as Curtis goes. Over and over and over again. AOC. Yeah, you well, know you gotta me. Understand, he never stops. On the weekend, especially if he's filling in for me on a Friday, which was the case, he's got 25 hours to fill. So, I mean, a lot of that, 20 of those hours, is just repeating the same thing over and over again. You got, you get, you got two hours of original content multiplied by 20. That's what's going to happen. So uh, I, I I thought that was going to be much worse. That's actually pretty clever, I, and it is catchy. I must say, it, it, it's really bad, and it's not catchy, and it was horrible. And I it 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 actually really I was enraged. Well, I uh, may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to death your right to say it. As oh yeah, Frank, that's right. Bring on somebody who attacks me and my creativity. Who the hell is she? Defending. Alexandria Ocasio, better known when she was a Yorktown High School. Sandra Cortez, whose mother fled to Florida. And when she was asked, why did your mother go to Florida? She wouldn't answer the question. So intrepid reporters found her mother near the panhandle near Pensacola. You know what the reason she gave for leaving Yorktown was that the taxes... It is the most heavily taxed county in the nation, or at least one of them. It's up there with Nassau and Suffolk and uh, some of the counties in New Jersey. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. That's why she left. She lives in Florida now, like everybody else. And it's Maria Schlappo or whatever the hell her name is. 
Oh, I'm enraged. Why? In defense of AOC? AOC hates Andrew Evil Ice Cuomo. Hates him. She's defending AOC. No wonder why that podcast is so horrible. So we're all supposed to wait with bated breath for the third appearance of Andrew Evil Ice Cuomo on WABC. This time with Rita Cosby, Tuesday, 4 to 5, where they promise promise he's finally going to come clean he's finally going to answer all your questions he's finally going to do what i tell you what he's everyone you're going to lose people that's life yeah pontificate can i hear that again i mean hold on a sec i want to hear that again Sixteen thousand dead senior citizens and what was his answer you can't save everyone you're going to lose people that's life wow I hope Rita asks him about plays that cut and says, what the hell did you mean about that? And maybe Swapo or Sloppo or whatever that one chat to say, maybe she could explain that when Frank brings her back on like it seems he does once a week. Why doesn't he play or all my cuts? You see, Frank uh, won't play those cuts. He doesn't want to offend Cuomo. I think I'm cool. Look, I'm wearing a cool mask. Yeah, you're cool. The homosexuals, they loved you. They loved that nipple ring that used to protrude from underneath your polo shirt. Well, guess what? Avery has cold busted Frank on that big time. Big time. Coming up, you don't want to miss it. Till the break of dawn, four to five. Uh, so let's go to the phones here. Now that the phones are working, uh, let's deal with it. Anora. In Manhattan, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Hi. Nora. Hi, Curtis. It's it's Nora. Um, I just wanted to go back to uh, that wonderful trip down memory lane with uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. And it just, just to lighten up a little bit, I wanted to give you some uh, factoids that you're probably not aware of, that Rocky, Rocket J. Squirrel, was actually voiced by a very famous voice actor in her time. Her name was June Foray. And she lived well into her 90s, and she was then the voice of Chatty Cathy. You know, the doll, every little girl in the 60s had one of those, and I had one. And because of that voice, she had that sweet voice, she was hired to voice the doll in the iconic Twilight Zone episode, The Living Doll, the talky Tina. So, because um, I saw an interview of her uh, and discussing that. So, um, actually, you know, Rocky was a girl. <laughs> so, I'm sorry to what, let you know what, that. <laughs> what, 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 you mean Rocky was the first yeah. transgender on TV? <laughs> I think a trans squirrel. Yeah, I do. Well, remember, I, I explained that squirrels keep their testicles right. inside their body until they mate. So yeah. it, it would look like uh, this is what Dylan Mulvaney should do, and she wouldn't right? be complaining so much. I know. I know. So I just I, I was laughing hysterically because I loved that uh, cartoon show, among you know many others. But that was one of my favorites. And I just learned that not too long ago about the uh, and she never got the credit, uh, actually, for the Twilight Zone episode. And it didn't bother her in the least. She never met Rod Serling. But because she they wanted a very sweet 
voice for the doll that would then recite well this you know murderous uh, dialogue and it worked very well and that's my number one favorite of the twilight zone episodes so um other than that i just thought i would you know let you now <laughs> later on later on when they revived the series i think it had mm-hmm. like a five-year run about 59 60 to 65 yes. in the middle yes, of the yes. cold war right when they revived this series they went with bullwinkle and it seemed to me Rocket J. Squirrel was a secondary character. I, I didn't mm. understand that. I yeah, th- I know. I think it's because Bullwinkle, <laughs> even though he appeared to be uh, a little stungad, a little <laughs> slow, he would always come out with those adult puns. Yes, like I caught. Do you think that was Keenan uh, Wynn, or not Keenan, his father? You know, I think it was Edwin. I think that was the the voice uh actor for that i mean because it's all sounded a lot like him yeah but he um, would he would throw out these adult puns oh and yeah I, absolutely i think you, you know it now not when you were a kid no, you know but, no, but i, I, I think the when they did the second round of mm. rocket J squirrel and bullwinkle and they mm. featured bullwinkle they wanted more that adult audience because that's really what the adult audience yes. loved about watching yes. rocky and bullwinkle well, they were very creative. They could get the, the meaning across for the adults. The kids had no idea. You know, they were just watching the cartoon and, and everything is cute. But absolutely, it had to be very creative and no blue language, right? Um, and it wasn't overt. It kept you on your toes. So, uh, yeah, it's true. Uh, I, and uh, let me see. What else? Oh, I just wanted to about Andrew Cuomo. I wanted to let you know about this. This was an article I read a few years ago that he was married to Carrie Kennedy and they divorced, but she said she moved across the country. She's on the West Coast because he used to brutalize her. And at one point she had to lock herself in the bathroom to get away from him because he was physically and uh, verbally abusive to her. So I, is, I think you know, I think you got the women mixed up. No problem like you would oh. have with me who's uh, been involved with five separate women, although <laughs> now Nancy is the keeper. I think you're talking about the woman who is the host on the Food Channel. Oh, uh, you're talking about, uh, yes, the cookie lady. Yeah, they, not, it could be either one, but they, I they think shared, it is They shared a house in Mount Kisco, yeah. and after many years, uh, she had a bad case of breast cancer. Yeah. Uh, she had he, uh, a mastectomy and had it. Uh, double, and he dumped her right shortly after Well, that. you but know, I, I it, reminded, it reminded me of Newt Gingrich yeah. with his wife, remember? Yes, yes, yes. She had a hysterectomy, and he served her divorce papers while she's recuperating. Yeah, in the you, you see, they, they, it doesn't matter their party affiliation. Democrats no. or Republicans, they're right. all in love with themselves. Right. So here's right. Newt Gingrich, right? He walks mm-hmm. in, his wife, like you mentioned, hysterectomy. Yeah. I, I'm divorcing you, right? Yeah. It was all about him. Andrew oh, Evil yeah. Cuomo. You know, I'm Same divorcing thing. you after a double mastectomy. Uh, to this woman who obviously was devoted to Andrew. And these Mm -hmm. are two jerky boys, and they're people, oh, I got to hear Newt Gingrich. Get out of here, schmuck. I can't stand Newt Gingrich. I could never stand him, and I can't stand Andrew Cuomo. I won't listen to the broad, too. Well, well, you know, the interesting thing about Newt Gingrich, all of a sudden he married another wife. Okay, I certainly Mm -hmm. can't condemn that. I've had multiple marriages. 
And he goes to live at the Vatican with her because she was assigned by Trump to be at the Vatican. I guess she was the ambassador to the Vatican, whatever. And suddenly he converts to the Roman Catholic faith, and now he's going to tell us about the Roman Catholic faith. These people who convert, they always got to prove they know more about a religion that they just learned about two seconds ago. Yeah, I, I, I know. They're so officious. And I can't, I can't, I'm so sick of the politics altogether. I'm and, telling and, you. And what do I say, Nora? I always say yeah. the start of the program, Curtis is a politician who says, mm-hmm. trust no politicians. Right. Whether it's Newt Gingrich, it's Andrew Cuomo, I don't trust any of them. Uh, uh, our owner operator, John Katzmatidis, is going to have on Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. That guy is a crook. I'm sitting in a car. We're coming back from an event at AM 970, The Answer. Four years of my life, I will never get back. Some kind of business event, and Mike Gallagher at the time still is a host, AM 970. Originally, he came down from, I think it was, the station in Albany to replace Bob Grant, the king of of all radio, when they fired him, Disney fired him. And, man, he just got scorched. There's no way you replace uh, Bob Grant. So then he went off for a while. He resurfaced with uh, AM 970, the answer. We're in the car. He's talking to Lindsey Graham on the speaker. He wanted me to hear it because it's like, you know, he's bragging about it. And he's making a deal with Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. It's called Pay for Play. I'll interview mm-hmm. you. This is how much it's going to cost. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh. Th- this is very common. Oh, This my God. is common. You, you hear these interviews, you think, oh, yeah. that's good. Pay for play. Yeah. Pay for yeah. play. I'm sitting that's in the car. I'm like, have... what? I'm, I'm glad you don't have guests because it's it's brilliant because the call the the viewer the viewers excuse me the audience can call and speak with you or listen sometimes you know they don't call but we're listening believe me <laughs> i love friday friday and saturday i just love it i'm i'm up i am up all night i may not call all the time but i am listening and i just love it and then you know you can sleep during the day so. well, I, I can guarantee <laughs> you this when our owner and operator john Casamitidis calls you and offers you to do an interview Nobody says no, and that's not because it's yeah. paid for play. It's because right. everybody wants to be friends with John Katsimatidis. So if he asks you, please, I really need you to get on the radio to comment on this, they they do it. Oh, but yeah, that's that's different. Can that's, you imagine? This guy, this guy was <laughs> paying to be interviewed all throughout South Carolina because that's when uh, Mike Gallagher syndicated was strongest, his strongest mm-hmm. stations were in South Carolina. Mm. There's a lot of this nonsense in radio. I, I I pick it up. I my ears pick it up, and they hate that Nora because right, they right. they know who's the biggest rat on two legs who eats the Parmesan cheese. Who is that? Which there's so many. Curtis Lewa. <laughs> I'm the you? biggest oh. rat. I rat them all out. Oh, right you now. rat them out. Oh, yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> oh, right now, Mike Gallagher's going to say, "Whoa, why did he tell that story?" And, and actually. <laughs> Uh, you know, Lindsey Graham is yeah. going to deny it. Oh, no. Remember when he came on TV when uh, Trump was uh, indicted by Alvin Bragg and Lindsey Graham was crying? And he goes, oh, so, yeah, yeah. 
And then notice he said, send your donations to me <laughs> and I'll get it over to the Trump pact. I didn't even know about that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. So oh, why send it to you? There are Trump <laughs> packs out there. Right. Send it directly. No, send it to me, Lindsey Graham, and I'll make sure it gets the dollar. Yeah, liar. Yeah, I don't trust any. And by the way, the biggest warmonger, Lindsey Graham, wants us always to get in wars. He wants us to invade Mexico. He wanted us to go and kill Gaddafi. We did that. Look at the Michigash over there now. He's a warmonger. That's right. That's right. I wouldn't doubt in a few hours when John Katzmatidis has him on between 8 and 10 Mm -hmm. that he'll be advocating that we go to war probably against uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Lithuania, Latvia, uh, some some country you can't even find on the map. The guy's just a warmonger, and you know what? Well, they make money from it. That's right. Look at his stock portfolio. He probably has investments in the military-industrial complex. There is no money in peace with these characters. It's always about the money, and uh, it's it's so it's terrible. And we pay the we pardon the pun. We pay the price yeah. for it. And, and all of them, they go to the, they go to Senate, they go to the House, yeah. and they come out millionaires. You say, where did you make all that money? Uh, none right. of your business. Right. What do you mean? Oh, I had investments in a blind trust. You know, like Bush forty one. My investments are right. in a blind. You mean to tell me you don't know where your investments are? No. They, they, they won't tell me. Don't lie to us. It's like inside a traded information, right? The Pelosi's. Yeah. She became they made it legal. Right? It's legal for them to do that now. I and, mean, and yeah. notice the Republicans and Democrats—they both put their beak in the trough. You can't trust yeah. them. And Nora. I don't trust either side. I don't Good. trust any of them. Good. In I fact, don't. I have recreated the old Ronald Reagan expression. Mm-hmm. He used to say, "Trust but verify." I say, "Verify first, then trust." Then trust, right? That's the way it should be. Limited I, trust. I appreciate, though, we got very nostalgic with Rocket yes. J, Squirrel, he and did. Bullwinkle. My name is Talkie Tina, and I'm beginning to hate you. What the hell is that? Talking Tina? Oh, man, from... Like the greatest guy, Rod Serling, Twilight Zone. He smoked two packs, three packs, four packs a day, smoked on air, died. What do you think he died of? Lung cancer. That was the, that, that was the, the chick who did, who did Bullwinkle. That's right. Yeah, the Talking Tina chick. Man, you're, you're like really scraping the barrel today, Broadway Billy. You need to go back to Joe Causey at WCBS-FM. You know who else uh, died of lung cancer? Would have been her birthday, I think, this past week if she was still alive. The diva of all divas. You know, we talked about J-Lo, Mariah Carey. No, the diva of all divas. From 1978 to 1982, Donna Summers. Just at times, she would have out of the top ten, five of the top hits. She just dominated the charts. And so later on in life... Donna Summers became a holy roller, a born again. And supposedly said, God did not uh, invent uh, Steve and Hal or something like that. You know, basically uh, talking about how 
gay life was um, unnatural. And remember, so many of her followers were gay guys. I mean, really, she had a huge following. The way Cher would have with gay guys. The way, you know, had the biggest following of uh, gay guys. Over the Rainbow, Judy Garland. Oh, yeah, you could play a Judy Garland song. You could be out on Fire Island. What is that? Uh, Coconut Grove? No, that's Florida. What am I thinking about? You could be in Chelsea, and all of a sudden on the jukebox, the Judy Garland song, Over the Rainbow, is played. And even if they're young gay guys, they're like, they start crying. I mean, but Donna Summers had that effect. Donna Summers died of lung cancer. And many of her closest advisors and family members attributed to her living downtown in the aftermath of the attack of 9-11 and her inhaling a lot of that toxic smoke that was everywhere. It was the world's largest crematorium. You smelled death everywhere. The toxins were everywhere. Christine Todd Whitless, that... Udi Skratziat, everyone wrote that book. I want my party back. I want my Republican party back, right? Get out of here. You who benefited from the Peter Principle, you got kicked upstairs after you failed as governor of the state of New Jersey by Bush 43, and you were made the EPA chiefess, and you said, oh, no, no, we've analyzed the air content around the collapsed buildings and the fires that are burning right there at the World Trade Center site, the pit, And it's safe to breathe. You don't need respirators. You don't need masks. You don't need Playtex gloves. You don't need any protective garb. You're safe and secure. Look how many people have suffered hundreds, thousands thereafter. Christine Todd Whitless. My God. My God. Let's go, if we can, to... um, Hmm... Kenny in Seaside Heights, your turn to be heard here, WABC, Kenny. Uh, David Suskind, go be Ken and go, go be Ken and go, go be Ken and go. That was Steve from Manhattan, frustrated as he is. He sounded a little bit like uh, Bullwinkle there, didn't he? I don't know what it is about that guy. He goes back to the days of Bob Grant. He... Did the same thing. He's like has an obsession with Pat Buchanan as Frank Morano does, except Frank will interview Pat Buchanan. Yes, he's still alive from time to time. He does very good interviews with him. But Steve just hashtags him by saying it over and over instead of having a conversation. Let's go to uh, Rocco, who's calling from Saratoga. You're trying to be heard here at WABC, Rocco. Yeah, hello, Mr. Mayor Curtis. Come on, we got to get you in there. Got a lot to talk to you. So are you going to let me talk a little or you want to cut it short and I'll give you bullet points, Curtis? Capiche? Come on. I'm a kid from the South Bronx. Jackson Houses. Talk to me about that. 156 in Cortland. Huh? I was born in Italy. I'm an immigrant from Barry. Barry, Italy, my friend. And look where I am now. I'm up in Saratoga, only in America, only in America. Can a kid from the South Bronx, from the hood, in the 60s, not, you know, not living luxury style. Jackson houses, six kids, great mom and dad. 
that's why I, I, I survived. And, and now look, I'm at Saratoga. Nice, nice place to be, except for the damn horse racing. You're right, Curtis. Been here for 35 years. First year, went to the races, didn't like it. Whipping horses. How about the whipping? They, they got whips and they're whipping these animals. Talk about horses breaking down. A couple of summers ago, check it out, the summer of death where every day it was so hot up here, every day there was at least one or two horses breaking down on the track every day. They were going to investigate it. The state was going to investigate it. We're going to find out why, what's going on. Where's the investigation? What are the results? You know how many horses died that summer? Oh, it's the heat. It's that. It's, it, it, yeah, it's not that they're injecting these horses with steroids. No, of course not, right? Come on, tell me. Well, yeah, investigate bots. I'll give you investigate. They don't do anything damn right. Come on, Mayor. Let's get out there and uh, fix some of this. No, 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 you're right. You uh, tell the truth. I forgot. You tell the truth, I forgot all, all about the whip that they have in their hand. Uh, my favorite jockey was Johnny Velasquez, who actually lived in the Bronx. Yeah, Johnny lives up here. Johnny lives in Saratoga. He's a good guy. Yeah, good but, guy, but. but when they get but, down after that uh, three-quarter pull, they pull out their whips, and you are correct. Right. They start whipping the horse. If they were whipping a human being, they would get locked up. Hey, we're talking about slavery here, whipping someone, right? Come on. They, but they can whip the horse because they can't talk back. They train them that way to take the whip and start moving faster. Come on. That's not humane. You know, they leave scars and lesions on these horses with that whip. Have you ever felt one of those whips, Curtis? I have. It's like almost a steel rod. As a matter of fact, when my son was young, we have the harness track here, too. We have harness. We have thoroughbred. We have a racino. We've got it all up here. It's wonderful. You know, come up and visit. But they gave we went the harness, like I said, the first year. And I saw that. I said, I can't take this. We had our son there, and he was a young kid. And one of the jocks gave him the friendly, here, son, you want, want the whip? He got the whip. I think we threw that thing out after we brought it home. Said, hey, look at this. It's like a piece of metal in there, whipping these horses with this. This is crazy. This is crazy. Give me a break. Let's talk some South Bronx, too. Jackson Houses, 156. You, you remember the 77 World Series, Howard Cosell broadcasting, and he said the Bronx is burning. Look outside the stadium. The Yanks playing the Dodgers. Hey, look, the, the Bronx is burning. There's a big fire out there. Yeah, that was across the street from Jackson Houses. PS3, they burnt out. I went right outside the, the building and looked at the fire. I didn't need to watch it on TV. Building was burning down right in front of me. They burnt PS3 down. Luckily, PS29 was there and was a brick building. They couldn't burn that one down. The firemen came. They, weren't, they were attached, but they managed to save PS29. That was a whole city block long. They burnt it. Well, all the rest of those buildings were burnt down the block. The reason they build projects the way they do with concrete, brick, and ceramic, you can't burn that stuff down. That's why they stand forever. You know, they, they can. You know, there are fires in the apartment, but they're contained. I mean, it's crazy, but lived in that place until I got married. It was okay. I mean, we were the only Caucasian family by then in the building. Talk about minority. 
I mean, we were the minority, but that was good for us because, hey, if it was the white boy, don't mess with the white boy. He, he's, his brother's Crazy D. You don't want to mess with Crazy D. So fortunately, it saved my hide a couple of times because, hey, if you're, you're a white guy down here, you can only belong to Crazy D's family, you know? My, my uncle was Custer Bottle, so, and, my, and my brother Crazy D was like Jake LaMotta. So you didn't, you know, excuse the language because Crazy D would take care of it for him. So, I mean, fortunately, I, a couple of times I could have been gang-banged or whatever. Hey, who's this white guy? Oh, it looks, are you related to Crazy D? Said, yeah, that's my brother. What's the problem? No, no problem, dude. Just tell him that, uh, you know, we said hello. Crazy D is cool with us, man. Yeah, you better believe he's cool with you because if something happens to me, you, 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 you're going to ask for a beating. You got, my brother's going to say, hey, I heard someone told me you wanted to get beaten, right? Nah, nah. Wait, what, what's up with you, dude? Nah. He said, yeah, someone told me you wanted me to punch you in the face. Nah, nah, come on, dude, cool it. Nah, hey, they said you want it. Tell me to punch you, okay? Let me punch you because you want it. You know, he break them down, and eventually they said, yeah, yeah, punch me and get the hell out of here. Said, nah, you're going to tell me to punch you again and again until you like it. That was my crazy brother. He's still crazy. He's 60-something years old, still living in the South Bronx, and he's still crazy. Yeah, he, but no he, one not messes stop. with him. He's not going to stop, man. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah no, he, he's I, I got a history. Yeah, he's got Custom a history. Yeah. You want Mike Tyson stories? Mike Tyson is my cousin. Check it out. Look at Wikipedia and see Customato adopted Tyson, Rosado. His mother was Rosado. So Mike is my, Iron Mike is my cousin, technically. He adopted Mike, right? So he's my cousin, Rosado. Check it out if you think I'm BSing. Now, but I'm a what, what happened? Guy, what happened there from your perspective? As far as what? Just in with terms Mike? of. I'll tell you what happened with Mike. I can tell you that Don King happened to Mike. Screwed him up. If Cuss had lived, Cuss died in, in uh, 85, it was. He was 77. Mike was 17 and 0 and 19 years old. And Cuss had him. He would have been undefeated champion he would have beaten marciano he only lost three fights okay mike went 54 and three and and he lost that busted davis fight the holyfield fight where he bit off his ear he told him he said when i was fighting holyfield in the ring i would he was kicking my ass he said i didn't know what to do holyfield was kicking my ass and i just the ghetto got into me, and I just reacted and bit his ear i wanted him to stop kicking my ass and so that's what i did so, you know, but if, if Cusp was around, nah, no way. Cusp, you know, trained Floyd Patterson, world champion. Cusp is in the Hall of Fame. But, but the mob got involved with Cusp. They cut him off because him and Howard Cosell tried to put an end to mob influence in boxing. You know that? I don't know if people know that. But then they blackballed him. So that's why he moved up to the Catskills. He couldn't get a fighter because the mob cut him off. But he did get the IBF out of the game, said, hey, this is an illegitimate fix-and-fight organization. And then finally they became investigated by the state commission in boxing, and they said, yep, you're right. You're right. They're, they're cut off. They can't schedule any more fights. The mob was controlling that. 
but then they blackballed Cus. So he moved up to the Catskills, where Mike was in the reform school. This is how the story went. And, and he, he was living on a little acreage in the Catskills. Hey, I'm retired. I'm done with this game. You know, I'm getting old. I, I don't need any of this BS. And, you know, they, they wouldn't do anything to Cus. They dare they do something to him. <laughs> Not good, because the Rosado side of the family, the Rosado brothers, uh, yeah, might take care of them before they took care of Cus. So anyway, I, I shouldn't be telling family secrets. But, no, no, no. Uh, it's all right. People have a right to know. Sure. sure. No. Okay. Sure. That's not a problem. No, that, that, this is a there. this is a forum where people have a right to communicate. You have conveyed more information to us, Rocco, about going up in the Jackson projects in the shadow of Yankee Stadium uh, when Reggie Reggie hit the big three. Howard Cosell talked about how he had lived in the neighborhood. Look, there are flames in the distance. Buildings are burning down. And that's when he broke the news. It's on Google. Right. It's where Carter came to the neighborhood. Now, President Carter, for those young folk that don't know who Carter is. He was president in the late 70s. Reagan took him out because the country was totally frustrated with inflation and weakness and said, no more of this. Let's get Reagan in here and take care of this. America is number one, not number two. You know, we were number two at that time when the Iranians took our hostages in Iran. No, later for that, treating us like garbage after what we do for the rest of the world. Give me a break. No, no, I remember that. It was Governor Carter who was running for president, came uh, to Fox Street. South Bronx. Yeah, you got it, Curtis. You know your stuff, my man. You know your stuff. Stood on the rubble. Tell it to them. I'm ranting. Yeah, no, 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 no. But uh, you see that point that you made when you talked about that night where Reggie hit three home runs and Cosell was describing the burning buildings where he had grown up in the West Bronx. He also let everybody know that George Steinbrenner was thinking of moving Yankee Stadium to the Meadowlands because of the arson and crime. When I heard that, I said, no way. Yankee Stadium in the Meadowlands? Yeah, knock it out of here. You can't be the damn Yankees in Jersey. Come on. Oh, my God. The only thing. Mickey Mantle, DiMaggio, and you're going to move to Jersey? The only thing. Concourse Village. The only thing. Concourse Plaza. No, you're not moving to the courthouse there. You're not moving to Jersey. That's the Yankee Stadium. Fortunately, they moved it to McCombs Dam Park, where I, I, I played in Yankee Stadium technically because we used to play in McCombs Dam Park right across the street from the stadium. You know, right? you know who you know else McCombs You know Dam. who else pl- uh, played there, Rocco, and went on to no, a I major don't. league career? The Yankees never picked him up. No. Rod Carew. Rod Carew played baseball on those diamonds. The Yankees were aware of him. He took a pass on him. He ended up uh, going to play with the Twins and then the California Angels, a really great hitter. Panamanian ended up converting to the Jewish religion. They didn't want Rocky Calavito, who had a tryout at 16 in Yankee Stadium. He was from Roosevelt High School. They passed, but a Cleveland scout saw him uh, in his tryout. And you know the rest of that story. And they didn't want... One of the greatest home run hitters and ball players of all time, Hank Greenberg, who went to Monroe High School and almost broke Babe Ruth's record. And he had a tryout with the Yankees. And the Yankees said, no, he's a Jew. We don't have Jews on our team. Went to the Detroit Tigers. And you know the rest of the story. Plus served in the war, World War II, which took a lot of 
of years away from the careers of some of the great ball players. Ted Williams served in both wars, World War II and the Korean War. And look at how great he was. Wow, you see, Rocco knew his stuff there. You see, Broadway Billy, we wouldn't get a guest on who could tell us about what it was like as a white guy to live in the South Bronx, Jackson Projects. That's why I let him talk. He gave us a lot of information. And then the reason that Gus D'Amato fled to the Catskills where he had his training camp was exactly right. It was exactly right. It was taking on the mob in boxing. And, man, they were everywhere. And that's where Mike Tyson went up to train initially. The only thing he missed was the time that Gus was in charge. And the trainer was from Staten Island. His father was a doctor every year. He has a fundraiser. He does teaches a lot of young people boxing, which uh, I believe in. A lot of people think it's barbaric. I don't know. No, no. I'd much rather have the kids in the gym, in the ring, learning the pugilistic skills. By the way, does anybody out there know where the Marcus of Queensbury rules came from? Boy, now we're getting deep there. You see, Rocco got me to get deep. Who created the Marcus Marcus of Queensbury rules that have guided boxing since the beginning, yet ended up turning on one of the greatest poets that Ireland ever had? This is deep, Avery. This is deep. This is deeper than uh, Esther, uh, part four, dash 12, or whatever. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I feel so close to you right now. It's a force field. I wear my heart up on my sleeve like a big deal. Your love bars down on me, surround me like a waterfall. And there's no stopping us right now. I feel so close to you right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I offered you the brain buster of all trivia questions. Who created the Marcus of Queensbury rules as we were talking about Mike Tyson? The rules were if you knocked your opponent down, he had 10 seconds to lift himself up, or you would either be rewarded the victory through TKO, decision of the referee, or he couldn't even move a knockout. Before that, it was barbaric. And notice we've gone full circle. We're back to UFC, mixed martial arts, where they pound you on the ground. That, to me, is not a sport. That's barbaric. And then you see everybody in the stand. Never had a fight in their life, right? Kill him, kill him. I cannot think of anything more barbaric. A man or a woman, and they have women doing it now, that really turns my stomach. 
The person is down on the ground. They cannot continue. They cannot fight. And you keep punching them in the head. You keep banging their head. To me, that's cowardly. I understand those are the rules because they want blood. They want blood and gore. But that's that's cowardly. The Marcus of Queensbury rules were put into effect to prevent that. And notice, they were established years ago. And look at what we've done now with mixed martial arts and the UFC. If you did what you did in mixed martial arts and the UFC in the streets, well, up here, you'd be arrested and released, right? You know, disappearance ticket. But in other municipalities, you'd be arrested and you would face serious charges. Also, if you went into the mine shafts or the anvil and submitted yourself to S&M to get whipped, if you did that in the street, right, you'd be arrested. You go into the anvil, the mine shaft, you submit yourself to S&M and you pay the dominatrix to torture you and whip you. And you love it. And it's not considered a crime. Who created the Marcus of Queensbury rules and who eventually destroyed Oscar Wilde, the great poet of the land of era, era. 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Steven Tyler, Aerosmith, walked this way. Remember when they did the jammy with Run DMC? Steven Tyler, hot mess, been in and out of rehab, pedophile on a pedestal, you name it, decadent and debaucherous. Got thrown out of high school in Yonkers for smoking reefer. Now, probably get a medal since that's become Weed City also, like the... Rest of the municipalities in the state of New York. Let's quickly go to Phil in Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Phil. Yes, hello, uh, um, uh, Curtis. Just a little history on uh, John Douglas, who was the Marquis of Queensbury. Uh, he was the ninth one. So I guess there's a long succession of these uh, of these Marquis. He was born in 1844, lived about uh, 54 years and uh, he is best remembered as the father of uh, the avenging father of Lord Alfred Douglas, who was a lover of Oscar Wilde. And as you know, Oscar Wilde was the Irish playwright and uh, known atheist and uh, very big, uh, very big uh, child um, pedophile and what have you. But um, the uh, the market the Queensbury rules was just named in his honor because he donated three cups 
he was a boxing uh, fan and a uh, well-known atheist himself. And, so and you know is, what? Uh, you know what killed them uh, back then in that time, whether you were gay or straight. The number one killer of guys was syphilis. Syphilis, because there was no penicillin, there was no cure, there was no condoms, jimmy caps, and uh, having safe sex. You know. They would never write that into the book in terms of what caused you to perish. But there were so many cases in generations where men and women died from syphilis. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is the politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. song, We Are Family. It's true, uh, WABC, except a very dysfunctional family. I think we can all agree on that, Broadway Bill Lee, Avery, especially when it comes to Frank the Mama Luke Morano and his crew. The Other Side of Midnight that you can hear Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, nationally syndicated show across the nation with Matt Blaze, who definitely uh, is a fugitive. I mean, that name alone has to be an alias. And then the runway model, Kenneth, his phone screener, who is a real stunad, a dullard. And its nighttime producer is a Marilyn Manson lookalike, Alec, spelled A-L-E-C Barnard. But anyway, let's get right down to it because this is what so many of our listeners wait for. The funniest hour in all of radio. And it starts with Frank musing, opining for Tab Soda. I have maybe five or six cans left of Tab in my garage that Arthur Idala got me right after they discontinued it. Because he, he knew that I was a, a fan. And I was thinking, maybe I'll have one this weekend, but I only have a few left. I should probably save them for special occasions. <laughs> like champagne, like Don Perignon. <laughs> he got a can of tab yeah. behind the washing machine in the, oh in the garage. Oh, my God. 
What the hell? <laughs> He's saving up five cans of tab. Oh man, that was hey, so disgusting, Tab. Hey, what's the um? What, what do you think is a tab worthy event for Frank? Oh, I know. It got to be something Shatner related, right? I have no idea. It I, is the absolute I, worst. I don't think it would be anything family related. I think that's not good enough for to get a can of tab. Well, this is what I would say. Could I hear that one more time, Broadway <laughs> Billy? <laughs> I have maybe five or six cans left of tab <laughs> in my garage that Arthur Idala got me at, right after they discontinued it because he, uh, he knew that I was a, a fan. My, and I was thinking, maybe I'll have one this weekend, but I only have a few left. I should probably save them for special occasions. Well, you know, the special occasion will be uh, Arthur Idala actually uh, with his partner bought the old Friars Club, remember? With all the old comedians. Oh. And then it just bombed. Oh. And it's now, I think, in receivership. So maybe if Arthur Idella can ever find the investors to reopen the Friars Club because he did a horrible job in uh, resurrecting it, then maybe Frank can uh, bust a move on Tab Soda from the 60s. Yeah, but that's not big to Frank. That's big to the other guy. Oh, God. <laughs> Frank, you're not getting a, you're not getting a can of Tab for that. Tab. Tab. A nasty diet soda. You know he's clutching on to it now. You know he probably started off just drinking them, and now he only got five left. So now he's really scarce. And then, of course, uh, he's concerned that little Carmine is addicted to watching TV. We get nervous just about how much he's into this TV. He points to the television set and grunts. He's uh, 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 and right. we don't like that at all. But so we're trying to really limit how much he watches, but he really so loves it. Uh, 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 uh. Daddy, why don't you get on that thing? <laughs> uh, people make more money on that thing than, 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 than radio. How's that coming, Dad? How's my future coming? <laughs> call, I thought, uh, call, call Brian Kilby. Yeah, but Brian won't put him on TV. Oh, no, 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 no. But, but Frank, don't, Frank don't tell Carmine that. No, no, no. He say, hey, Daddy, Daddy might be on TV. You better yeah. watch Brian kill me. Yeah, TV, TV. By I, the way, uh, we're noticing that Frank is very much using the television the way parents have for decades as a pacifier. As a pacifier. <laughs> Trying to keep them busy. And then he goes on and on and contradicts himself like he always does about the Ted Lasso. I don't know what the hell show that is, but he's all for toots about it. I am a fan of the TV series Ted Lasso. Uh, my wife and I watched it uh, last night and we enjoy it a great deal. And if you haven't seen it, it's, I, I don't want to go on and on about it because it's, I, oh, yeah. I don't, I'm not giving them a free commercial. They don't do anything for me. The least they could do is give me a break on the uh -huh. Apple TV subscription price that I'm paying. But um, it's, a, it's a very, the, what's special about it is it's a very funny show, huh. but at the other time, at other times, it's a very deep show mm. and a very meaningful wow. show. And it really, even though it's a comedy, and at times it's a very silly comedy, it really does uh, tug on the heartstrings of emotions as well or better than any drama. Wow. Now, why is it going off the air, Frank, if it's all those things? <laughs> it's probably not getting canceled, but, I mean, if it's all those things, Frank, wow. And then you notice he's always snoring for free stuff. He's saying, 
you know, they're not giving me anything if they'd only give me a break on the Apple TV and subscription. And he don't want to give it a free promo. But all he does is talk about this show every single episode. He, whatever music he hears on that show, he puts on his show. Wow. And in fact, you are right, Avery. He continues on. And I remember when my wife and I first started watching it, which was not long ago. We were new to this show. We started it maybe a year and a half ago. My wife said to me after the fourth or fifth episode, she said to me, you know, I really love Ted. He's so wholesome. She said to me, he makes me want to be a better person. And I kind of have that. And she's uh, much better with words than I am. She's a writer. And I kind of feel the same way about Ted Lasso. He he makes me want to be a better person. Hey, this is the all-time greatest show of the history of TV. No, no, but by him saying that, isn't Shatner going to get jealous? Well, look, well, and you got a reverend saying that Ted Lasso makes him want to be a better person. Oh, God. Well, not God, not his parents, <laughs> not Carmine. <laughs> Ted Lasso. <laughs> Hey, Jason would slap you in the face if he saw you right now. He don't even know you. A reverend saying a fictional character makes him want to be a better person. Now, remember, he said he didn't want to talk long about Ted Lasso. No. He continues. This this took up like 20 minutes. I think there's only maybe one or two episodes of Ted Lasso left this season. I've really enjoyed this uh, this season of uh, Ted Lasso. (laughs) Who cares? And, 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 you know... In summary, watch Ted Lasso. I don't want to give him a promo. This is like eight, ten minutes now, but let's give him a free ten-minute promo. Let's just see what comes of it. Yeah, so that he can get a free subscription to yeah. Apple TV. What a schnorrer. He can get 10% off. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then he talks about the movie The Little Mermaid. You may remember the... Um the movie, The Little Mermaid. Yeah. And what is that big famous song in The Little Mermaid? It's uh, Sebastian, that uh, lobster or crab. He sings that song, and I remember from seeing this in theaters over 31 years ago. I, he sings that song, Under the Sea, da 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 da, da Under the Sea, ba 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 So, uh, down where it's wetter, here where it's better, take it from me, you know. Yeah. Yo, man, save it for the shower storm, Frank. You <laughs> suck. Under the sea, da, 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 da. Under the sea, ba, 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 ba. You can't even carry here where it's a melody, a tune. <laughs> this guy, but Frank, a grown man going to see the Little Mermaid in the movie theaters? Frank, that didn't get by me. Yo, yo, man, that, uh, that's weird. And then, do, do you remember the colossal hit that Disney had? Of course we remember that, that stupid cartoon. That's weird. A grown man in theaters going to see Little Mermaid in theaters, and then he does his song. I, I think Little Mermaid. The people who were dropping acid, who wrote the script for SpongeBob SquarePants, right? Isn't that the same thing? Can I hear Under Frank? Under the sea, da 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 da. Under the sea, ba, 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 ba. down where it's wetter, here where it's better. Take it from me. Hey, Sebastian the Crab just called. He said, you better not sing that song again. Under the sea, da, 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 da. under the sea, ba, 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 ba. down where it's wetter, here where it's better. At least, Take it from me. At least you could have tried the Jamaican accent, Frank. Under the sea, da, 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 da. under the sea, ba, 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 ba. down where 
it's wetter. Here where it's better. Take it from me. Oh, God. On the sea. Like, the crab had a big Jamaican accent and everything. Would you please save it for the shower stall? Under the sea. Under the sea. Down where it's wetter. Here where it's better. Take it from me. Oh, God. Yeah, we remember, we remember the cartoon, Frank. Oh, Yours man. truly. The Frankster. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Brandon, who has become his nemesis, Cole busts him from New Jersey. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. If uh, Spider-Man and Spider-Girl conceived, do you, uh, how do you think the offspring would look? And do you think she would give birth like a human or lay an egg sack like a spider? I would guess that if they had uh, children, it would be sort of a conventional birth, not like a spider birth. Because if you look at... (laughs) Sorry, the microphone keeps falling. (laughs) I was a little misdirection. You thought it was about the question, wasn't it? No. It was about Frank not being able to negotiate a microphone. We got you all. <laughs> you didn't see that coming. He dropped the whole microphone. <laughs> he got so nervous. Hey, that's showmanship, Curtis. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> this is like, wait a second. This is like when what's-his-name comes and drops the mic, like a rapper, you know, just drops the mic. Can I hear that again? Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. If uh, Spider-Man and Spider-Girl conceived, do you, uh, how do you think the offspring would look? And do you think she would give birth like a human or lay an egg sack like a spider? I would guess that if they had uh, children, it would be sort of a conventional birth, not questions. like a spider birth. Because if you look at... <laughs> Sorry, the microphone keeps falling. Hey, it's like it's like somebody came and put a hit out on him. <laughs> the guy sneaking up behind him oh, the whole time, God. and it just hit him. <laughs> that sounded like Dave Chappelle, you know, that's when he drops that microphone. Could I hear the drop by itself? I mean, Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. If uh, Spider-Man and Spider-Girl like sneaking behind him right now, do you, uh, how do you think the offspring would look? And do you think she would give birth like a human? Or lay an egg sack like a spider. I would guess that if they had uh, children, it would be sort of a conventional birth, not like a spider birth. Because if you look at... (laughs) Sorry, the microphone keeps falling. You see, the microphone with him becomes uh, flaccid before it was turgid, and then it just becomes flaccid and falls. Then, you know, you can ask uh, Frank anything. He has that segment. Just don't ask him his age. Now a caller was asking him about his contract with Red Apple Media. Frank, when you negotiated your contract, do you use an agent? And the second thing is, does your compensation change as the Frank Morano radio network is blossoming and growing? Well, uh, good question, Igor. Uh, the first question is, no, I did not use an agent. I actually took a uh, pretty significant pay cut in order to work here initially. Now, I did get a, a subsequent raise after that. My um, compensation does not change as the network grows. And I think i got to be careful because I think I am prohibited from talking about this. Oh, oh man, oh, HR gonna be calling oh, him boy. in, Frank. Now you know good and well. You, what's he call it? Did you like Suge Knight did Tupac? <laughs> <laughs> you signed that contract on a napkin at dinner. Oh my God, <laughs> Chad, Emily, and HR gonna be calling him into the office. 
What the hell was that? Hey, Cash was like, yeah, sign this napkin. I'll fill in the rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I should get a lawyer. That's it. I changed my mind. Get out. <laughs> okay. And then Neil from Staten Island talks about Frank being Mr. Big Stuff. Who does he think he is? Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. I was wondering, Frank, I mean, you're the head honcho there. You're the big shot <laughs> of the radio station. Do you think Johnny Katz will ever get you a ring like that? Well, I, I think if we win the uh, if we win the championship, if we win a couple of Marconi awards, maybe. But uh, I'm not holding my breath. Hey, who was that Giants player at that dinner? Do you remember? It was 30 years ago. I don't remember his name. I could never forget that crane pool. I mean, uh, naturally, naturally. What the, what, what the hell was that? How many Marconi awards are you going to win if you can't even hold the mic up? No, no. First off, <laughs> the only award that Frank Morano would qualify for would be the Macaroni Award. You know, Ronzoni, Sonoboni. This is this is the champion. This guy almost broke his mic answering a question about it Spider-Man. It would be sort of a conventional <laughs> birth, not like a spider birth. Because if you look at... <laughs> this is the champion. <laughs> da, 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 da. The champ is here. What? <laughs> microphone keeps falling. A macaroni bender. It's the champ. And by the way, here we go again. The annual barbecue they're planning. And guess who will not be invited? Anybody black. Anybody black. Let me just use the approved invite list from last year that you approved. And let's invite those people. Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Alex, all of whom were invited to last year's barbecue, made oh. it to the approved invite list. I am hoping that you're going to be invited again this year, but there's, there's honestly no guarantees. I know you're you're on pins and needles awaiting this invitation, right, Matt? Uh, of course I am. Yeah. Though I'm probably not going to go. All right. Well, I respect that. I respect that. Can I cross you off the approved invite cross list? Cross me off the approved invite list. All right. You Open go, up the screen. Off. Now, now uh, Christian Matos, who used to work here, can he can he does work he, here? He still does. Yeah. Oh, good. He's here on the weekend. Oh, I know. Yeah. Him yeah. All right. Good well, job, good. Frank. I like him. So then we'll invite him. Then we'll give him your spot. Oh God. You like you like him so much that you didn't know he still worked here. <laughs> By the way, you, Avery, who have substituted for Kenneth, the runway model that he's infatuated with, he never invited you, right? Oh, no. I'm not, I, know, I, I know my invitation is going to get lost in the mail. Frank, Frank don't want me there so bad that he won't invite me. Because, he, like, you know, usually you, you invite somebody because you know they probably won't accept. He won't even take the chance that I might accept. That's why. That's how much I'm not gonna gonna be invited. Now let me ask you a question, Broadway Bill Lee. Uh, your partner at WCBS FM was invited last year, Joe Causey to go, but you weren't invited. Yeah, Bill, Bill gets caught up in all this. <laughs> <laughs> What is it? He doesn't invite black people? No, 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 no. No brothers allowed. Now, what would happen if you were going to deliver a Domino's pizza there? Would he let you in? Well, yeah. Or, I told you, or either deliver a Domino's pizza or I could drive the car. I could be driving the car with two Caucasians in the back. (laughs) I'm allowed to drive in the neighborhood (laughs) like that. Other than that, I'm not getting past the bridge. Wow. Wow. And, you know, he's infatuated. He's for toots. Over Kenneth, the runway model, I really think we're talking about homoerotic love. Um, Kenneth, w- w- how are you looking for this June 10th uh, extravaganza? It's a bit of a toss-up. Bit All, of right. A toss-up. All right. Well let, well, let me know before invites go out. So this way maybe we can give your spot to uh, 
to, I don't know, Christian Arnold or something. Right. Somebody else. None of his crew wanted to go. And they were, they were all there last year. I know. And he's like, well, I didn't even want to ask Blaze anyway. I just asked Blaze so I could ask you, Kenneth. But Kenneth, are you going? This lets you know how bad it must have been that nobody, not, uh, not his producer, Alec Barnard, the Marilyn Manson lookalike, not Matt Blaze, the fugitive, or Kenneth, the runway model. All three Let were there just, last year. It used the approved invite list from last year that you approved. The honeymoon is over. And let's invite those people. <laughs> Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Alex, all of whom were invited to last year's barbecue, made it to the approved invite list. Like, y'all made I'm it to the list, y'all. that you're going to be invited again this year, but there's, there's honestly no guarantee. Confetti. I know you're, you're on pins and needles awaiting this invitation, right, Matt? Uh, of course I am. Yeah. Though I'm probably not going to go. Kenneth, w w how are you looking for this June 10th uh, extravaganza? It's a bit of a toss-up. All right. Toss -up. All right. Well, yeah, like a tossed salad, right? Oh, my God. Nobody I'm wants you, to go. Last year, they felt they couldn't turn them down. Now, this year, they could care less. I'm not going to your house, Frank. Because <laughs> they know how bad it was. Yeah, which is your one No food, table. you know, no food, one beer apiece. That was it. A glass of water. <laughs> And, and just and, and Al Jolson. Right. And play ping pong on one on ping, one, pong one table. ping pong table. A line around the block to play. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I know no, his whole crew doesn't want to go. Anyway, you know with Frank he's obsessed with making Seinfeld references. But uh, you know, Seinfeld grew up in Massapequa, where I grew up, so I think I had an understanding of the show um, that, unfortunately, a lot of African Americans apparently didn't watch that show. Well, and, yeah, there uh, were no black people on that show. I mean, you had Mr. Well, Wilhelm yeah. and the Exterminator. That was uh, that was about it in terms of black people on that show. Frank, that, what the hell is he talking about? Franklin, Franklin, you talk about this show so much. All roads lead to Seinfeld. You should know better. There were black people on this show. Now, now, Avery, I don't understand this. He has an aversion to black people. Oh. We know that there were black characters. In fact, the lawyer for Kramer, remember? It's becoming more and more clear, Curtis. <laughs> this guy watched the episodes over and over. Over and over. Every time a black guy comes up, what does he get? Digitalized out of his TV? <laughs> it says no, and, and the person, the two people he named weren't even black. They were white. He, Mr. Wilhelm was white. He said he was black. Oh, my God. Franklin. Franklin. By, by the way, everything seems to remind him of the Seinfeld characters. Everything's waiting for you. You know, obviously, this reminds me of the Seinfeld episode <laughs> with um, George having to work on the project. And it was Mr. Wilhelm who tells him, that's where you need to go. Go downtown. And it reminds me that I just said Mr. Wilhelm was black. Yes, it was not did. Mr. Wilhelm. It was Mr. Morgan uh -huh. that was black. Yeah. That was the black character on Seinfeld who was very good. As was, um, as was Jackie Childs, who was, who was also black. So he had a couple of black characters. Somebody told him. Somebody, <laughs> <laughs> Frank, it, it, over the weeks, he's been trying to cultivate a black audience. And you have not been doing a good job, Frank. Let me tell you something. He's watched the Seinfeld series like a hundred times a piece. And he didn't know that there were black characters in Seinfeld. And that gets me because I watched Seinfeld, but not the Chronicles, like the very first season. He even knows all of them. Wow. Well, maybe he needs this free memory drug. 
people could check that out. I'm going to try this as well. Uh, for brain I'll send fog. You a bottle. Wonderful. For brain Great. Fog. That's what I was hoping. All right. Not that you're not sharp, Frank. Thank you're sharp. You. No, you're believe sharp. me, I need all the help I can get. All right. Um, I'll, I'll, if uh, and if it works, I'll give some to our friend Curtis Lee as well. Keith Ablo, it's it. always a treat to talk with you. Thank you. Good luck. By the way, he takes a shot at me there. Curry, why, why, why would he feel the need to drag you down there? My my memory seems to be superior to his, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he just messed up on the Seinfeld thing. And he can't seem to get any of the intros right for any of his guests. But why would he Why would he throw you in there with him, Curtis? God, and, and Dr. Keith Ablo is willing to give him the free memory drug, but oh, no, he's got to pawn it off on me. And 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 he, he got him to take a little shot at you, too. Yep. He, he said Curtis needs it. Yep. And then, speak of that, this was total character assassination of me. I want an apology. <laughs> I want an apology. I'll tell you what I am legitimately annoyed with. I brought in a mug that that does two things. That it was that is large, large enough for me to get a full twelve ounce pour of hot liquid, so that I can have a nice cup of tea during the during the show, so that my vocal cords are appropriately lubricated. What? And uh, oh, okay, well, I got one from Monroe College because I was once a guest lecturer at Monroe College. I didn't get paid or anything, so as my they gave me sort of a gift bag and they gave me this beautiful. Nice big old mug. They gave it to me, and I've been using it. And I always put it in the same spot underneath the coffee machine every day. They, they and it's the first thing I grab when I come in, and it's the last thing that I put away when I leave. So, so they gave him a swag bag. <laughs> they paid him in knickknacks. <laughs> they paid him in merchandise. But notice he's always snoring. I mean, he spoke in Monroe College, right? And yet he's snoring. Yeah, what college don't pay you? Like, they gave him a gift card to the, to the gift shop. <laughs> go in there and go, go nuts. Well, we'll be coming back to figure out this uh, <laughs> riddle to have a feeling I'm going to get blamed for it like he always does. Dun, dun, dun. When all else fails, blame Curtis, right, Frank? It's a shame, Curtis. Uh, as we continue on, the funniest hour in all of radio. Due to the efforts of Avery, who had to torture himself. This is worse than waterboarding. He has to listen to 20 hours of Frank Morano, The Other Side of Midnight, the nationally syndicated show, and then piece together stuff that Frank said that he doesn't even realize makes a fool out of himself. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Should sure is the same old shillelagh be father. Oh, I'm Irish. I come from Calabria, Ireland. Yeah, Frank Morano, degenerate Met fan, has to hear this song during the seventh inning stretch at City Field. But let's get back to the character assassination that he has waged against me. I just feel it in my the marrow of my bones. 
speaking of courtesy, I'll tell you who I, who I suspect here. Curtis Lewa. Because in our brief interaction yesterday, when I was walking, I, 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 it's the only time I saw Curtis yesterday. Well, I saw him tw- twice. He was walking around some very shady-looking guys before the show. So he's walking around these two shady-looking guys, Dang, and they're, they're doing their thing. And then, um, and you know what? I met those guys twice. I met them once when I came in. And what do you do when you see people? You say, hello. And then they say, hello. And then one of them made fun of me for carrying the New York Times. Well, hell yeah. Yeah. I'd have made fun of Frank Morano carrying he, the New York Times. He brings it out of you. <laughs> and you know what he does with Rachel on Sundays? He gets the hard copy of the New York Times. They read all the letters to the editor, and then they argue about them. That's a Sunday in the Murano household. Well, he just insults your friends. Like, he, just, he, don't, he don't even know him. He insulting you. He's insulting your friends. Right. But now he continues on. Oh, come here. Where? So Alex Barnard found my Monroe College mug. Where did you find that? It was in the studio I always work in. Why was it in there? I honestly, I, know, I didn't even know this was yours. That, this is mine. Let it be. Okay. I withdraw my condemnation of Curtis. It looks like it was broken. Did you... Uh... At one point, and then glued back together. I don't know if uh... it does look broken, right? <laughs> look, it yeah. does look cracked. Somebody broke this mug, and Humpty Dumpty style tried to put it back together again. Look at this. Who does this? What goes on when I am not here? It's madness. It's madness. It's people running around drinking all the water, breaking mugs. I will withdraw, possibly, my condemnation of uh, of Curtis Lewa. All right, uh, eight up for this, not for anything else. Eight open lines, 800-848-9222. Eight open lines, Frank? <laughs> you know we only have eight lines, right? Ain't nobody calling it, man. Nobody calling. Nobody calling, Frank. Nobody cares. By the way, look at what I have in my hand here, the documentary evidence. It's spelled K-R-A-Z-Y glue. The super glue that was used to fix that mug. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, who else has crazy glue here, right? Uh. I mean, think about it. Remember when my tooth fell out and I had to go do the interview with Sean Hannity, the rock-ribbed all-American conservative voice of reason from Franklin Square, Long Island, on Fox News? And if you don't have your front tooth, they're not going to let you on because you look like a... You know, you look like a goober. You look like a hillbilly. So I crazy glued my tooth back in, and I still have the uh, little vial here that I used to fix that mug. Cover up my felony operation, and here he is. But he's got it in for me. He's always suspicious of me. The reason I was suspicious of Curtis was I was walking back from the coffee machine with my Monroe College mug. And Curtis says to me, says, oh, uh, next thing you know, we're going to be hearing you complain about someone taking your mug. That's what he said. Unsolicited. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the next day, my mug is missing. Strikes me as very suspicious. OK, because he was here, you know, an hour or two after I left the air and he was here for hours during the day. So I don't know. I could absolutely see something, uh, something going on here. Man, don't let Frank know he was right. Don't do that, man. No, all of it is true. Come on, Amy. Don't do this. Look, I have the crazy glue in my hand. Super glue. 
Don't do this. It was left over from when I I glued my front tooth back in to do that interview with Sean Hannity. So I still had some, a little bit of liquid left. You know how strong this is. Well, what is he complaining about? He's got his mug. And you know how that super glue is. You would ne- It's like brand new. Man. And then, oh, he's always covering up for his runway model that he had hired as, now get this, he multitasked, phone screener Kenneth and sports guy Kenneth. The guy knows nothing about sports. But listen to Frank Morano in his sports-challenged way. Boy, you can tell Kenneth's back, ladies and gentlemen. Second caller of the night, you can tell Kenneth is back. By the way, speaking of sports, I got the word from Wyatt on our Nevada Talk Radio Network affiliates that our Nevada audience is particularly excited today because the Golden Knights won game six and are heading for the Western Conference Finals. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't have any New York teams that I'm rooting for at the moment in the NBA playoffs. I'll root for the Golden Knights. Good luck to them. Now, now, hold on a second. Well, Vegas don't have an NBA team, Frank. No, it doesn't. They want one in the future. Yeah. But they don't have one now. And Kenneth is sitting there like a cherub, not answering. He's the sports guy. Yeah, that's an NHL team, Frank. Oh, my God. (laughs) Frank, you're trying. I'll give you an E for effort. He's so sports challenged. He got that. He probably got that from Ken. Yeah, yeah, but you know, he just wants to placate Ken because he wants Ken to give him yeah. attention. Yeah, he wants he wants Ken to come to the barbecue. Ken's still Ken's still on on the <laughs> he's undecided. <laughs> I mean, there is some homoerotic love going on there, man. The great um, Chew must be a blip. How are you looking for this June 10th uh, <laughs> extravaganza? It's a bit of a toss up. Then All right. Toss. All right. Well, let, well, let me know before invites go out. So this way, maybe we can give your spot to, uh, to I don't know, Christian Arnold. Or okay, fine. Vegas has an NBA franchise. <laughs> Let's give Vegas an NBA team. He didn't even know in the segment before that Chris Arnold still works here. <laughs> no, Matos. That was Matos. Oh, I'm sorry. Chris Matos. Yeah, he thought he was going. <laughs> Man. And then Craig calls up from Queens. And this is the scam that he runs, you know, 10 questions, uh, answers got to be done in uh, one minute, and then you can you win $1,000, right? A thousand. It never happens because it's a scam. Well, let me say hello to Craig in Queens. Hello, Craig. Um, I'm going to ask you 10 trivia questions. I would say nine of them are very easy, but okay. they're, they're very easy in a wide variety of different subjects. So you got to know a little bit about, uh, about a lot of things. Let's get started. What is the plural of goose? Geese. What do you call a bicycle with three wheels? Tricycle. What legendary NBC sitcom ended 25 years ago this month? Friends. Ah, uh, no, I'm sorry. It was uh, Seinfeld, Craig. Seinfeld, 25 years ago this month. We did a whole Seinfeld hour yesterday. I thought maybe you might have heard it. I'm sorry. I- Why would you assume that, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> what does he think? People just stay at home listening and, and, to all four hours? Yeah. And, and, and you know what, Curtis? The, the question is so vague and it's so open. to. So I can go to NBC and just 25 years ago... And look at the amount of shows that they canceled or ended. 
all those answers, all those answers would technically be right for that question. That's true. That's true. And that, a, that 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 caller deserves a do-over. What kind of what kind of scam are you running here, Frank? Oh, we know that that ten questions in one minute to win a thousand dollars has been a scam since it was birthed. Anyway, wow, he's doing an interview. You know what happens when Frank? Oh, excuse me. Before we get to that, there's another uh, series of questions that were answered. Apparently, a caller who is competing for the $1,000 prize. Remember, 10 uh, questions, 10 answers in one minute, and you win. Hello there, Don. Hey, how are you? I'm well, Don. Don, have you heard this segment before? Yes, I have. All right, so you know what to do, right? Correct. Okay, so we'll get started if you're ready. What is an ingredient in a BLT sandwich? Bacon. What does FBI stand for? Federal Bureau Investigation. What country music singer performed the hits 9 to 5 and Jolene? Um, Molly Pardon. We'll take it. Adjusted for inflation, what is the highest grossing film of all time? Um, Titanic. Uh, I am sorry, Don. It is... A little film that's somewhat obscure, Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind is uh, the highest grossing film of all time, adjusted for inflation. What kind of question is that for number four? Oh, man, come on. That is so unfair. It's it's misleading. It's tricky. That's a number 10 question. Adjusting for inflation? What's the highest grossing movie of all time? Of course he's going to say the billion-dollar movies. Adjusting for inflation? On the fourth question, Frank? That was trickology, pure trickology. And he lets him go on getting Molly Molly Parton instead of Dolly Parton. He's like, I'm, I'm going to give you the screw job next question anyway. I need, <laughs> I need to keep you on the hook. So, yeah, I'm going to let you get away with that. Oh, my I'm God. I'm really going to screw you on question four. And then, Frank, he is the king of the introductions. He spends like three minutes introducing his guests, and he inevitably gets it wrong. It's an absolutely wonderful book. It's very funny. It's called Shut Up, Your Kid Is Not That Great. It's written by Jason Cole, who's a Ph.D. He's been a sports journalist, and he is the author of this opus, very short opus, Shut Up, Your Kid Is Not That Great. Jason, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, Great to be here. Although I do have to say, I'm not a Ph.D. I don't know how that got in there. You know what Frank does? <laughs> he nourishes people's resumes. Normally you do that for yourself, like George Santos, right? But he nourishes his guests' resumes. I, I, I've heard him do this at least a half a dozen times. A little, a little research, Frank. That's all we ask, just a little research. He attributes uh, accomplishments to his guests, you know, to hype up the guests, that they have to, they have to confront him and say, no, no, I, I yeah. never was a PhD, and it's never little things like your car. <laughs> your car is red when it's green. Like it's, it's something they have to address because it's so bi- it's so big they look bad. So then he goes back to the PhD thing with his friend. Are you sure you want to claim the title? I, uh, well, I mean, I can claim it, but I I don't want somebody who knows better to come back at me. Um, <laughs> so that would be that would be bad. <laughs> You, you sure you don't want to be a PhD? I'll make you one. Right, right. Yeah. Can I hear that again? Because <laughs> he's encouraging the guy to do a George Santos. 
Are you sure you want to claim the title? I, uh, well, I mean, I can claim it, but I, I don't want somebody who knows better to come back at me. Um, so that would be that would be bad. Yeah, Frank. Frank, we were we're worried about uh, like details here. Like, we don't want to be caught in lies. We're not like you, Frank. No, no. I mean, the guy is telling him, "I'm not a PhD," and he's trying to goose him to say, "Nobody will know." Come on. Remember, Frank was looking around for where he could get a, a fake PhD or like a real easy PhD. You know how easy it is to change a Wikipedia um, page on somebody. I'll bet you Frank has altered his Wikipedia page probably over a dozen times to attribute all kinds of achievements to himself that he never, ever, ever even got close to. Hey, you sure? I'll make you a PhD. You sure? Just say the word. On my show, you'll be a PhD. And then another bad introduction, another bad introduction. I am very, very pleased uh, to welcome Dr. Naomi Wolf, the author of the new book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. One of the ways that you first came on my radar screen is when you were uh, an advisor to President Clinton back in his 1996 re-election. And I think... That's probably true for a lot of people. That's where they first sort of you became a household name in a lot of people's mind. You apparently met with President Clinton quite often during that 1996 reelection campaign. Most of us will never get to work that closely with the sitting president. I'm wondering if you could share what that experience was like. What was Bill Clinton like in private to deal with on a personal level? Well, I should um, and please call me Naomi. I should, I guess, gently uh, correct the record. I actually um, was an advisor to his campaign, not to him personally. So I really only met him once or twice and never, you know, never in private. So, Frank, a question, question, Frank. So when he first came on your radar... And you first became a household name, and all the times you saw her do, where'd you get all that from? And she never even met the man, but maybe once or twice. Where did you get all your stuff oh, from, oh, Frank? I, I want to clock how long that introduction <laughs> was. Uh, but, this uh, guy went on for at least three minutes. Yeah. Can we play that again? I never heard such a long introduction. It turned out to be all misinformation. A big shovel. Big old shovel. <laughs> I am very, very pleased uh, to welcome Dr. Naomi Wolf, the author of the new book, The Bodies of Others, The New welcome. Authoritarians, COVID-19, and the War Against the Human. One of the ways that you first came on my radar oh, screen really, is when you were uh, an advisor to President Clinton back in his 1996 re-election, and I think... That's probably true for a lot of people. That's where they first sort of you became a household name in a lot of people's mind. You apparently met with President Clinton quite often during that (laughs) 1996 reelection campaign. Most of us will never get to work that closely with the sitting president. I'm wondering if you could share what that experience was like. What was Bill Clinton like in private to deal with on a personal level? Well, I should. um, And please call me Naomi. I She's should, trying to be I nice. Guess, gently uh, correct the record. I actually um, was an advisor to his campaign, not to him personally. So I really only met him once or twice and never, you know, never in private. 
He takes one little fact that may or may not be true and just runs with it. Wait a second. Do you realize I clocked that at three minutes, 28 <laughs> seconds of an introduction, and oh. it was all incorrect? Three minutes, 28 of manure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the time you spent with President Bill Clinton. All that time. When he was in the Strategic Command Center and he was prepared yeah. to bomb Osama bin Laden. What, what, that's when you came on my radar. That's that's when I took notice of you. When you were spending all that time with a president you only met once. You notice that Frank has a little bit of George Santos in him? I mean, but he does it for other people. <laughs> he embellishes their resume. But it's too much. They can't even accept the embellishment. It's too much. <laughs> he makes you the king of England. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you an author. By the time you leave his show, you're the king of England. <laughs> I can't even take I can't even take the compliments, Frank. I can't even take the embellishment. Oh God. And then he talks about Larry David being in his favorite city where he's snoring free stuff all the time, free rooms, free ancillary devices, free food, free booze, and uh to be forgiven of his uh gambling losses while shooting craps. By the way, side note. Joe Borelli, who was attacking me on Friday for information and that I was putting out about Staten Island, uh, a the backstage being uh, used as a place to drop a thousand illegal aliens by bus. Do you know where Joe Borelli was on Friday when he sent that text? Take a guess, Avery. Take a guess, Broadway Billy. Atlantic City. AC. You think he was there with Frank shooting craps at the Borgata? While Frank was snoring, he probably snored some free rooms for Joe Borelli. Huh? Isn't that unethical? Uh, to me, uh, I think that's unethical. But anyway, Frank can never talk about anything without dropping the name of Captain Kirk into his conversation. You know, it's funny that he saw Larry David in Atlantic City at the Trump Taj Mahal, now the Hard Rock. Because there is, you know, a movie that was written and directed by Larry David, which I enjoyed. It was not a big hit, but it's called Sour Grapes. And a big portion of it is actually filmed in Atlantic City. And one of the other stars, the, the one of the stars of that film is Craig Bierko, who was in Boston Legal with William Shatner. Oh, See? man. Come, oh, on. come on, man. What sh- the hell? He always finds a way. He shattered me, man. <laughs> That's what I call being shattered when he just pulls Shatner out of, out of left field when it don't look like he's talking about Shatner. He is obsessed with Shatner. I'm surprised that Ted Lasso hasn't taken over for Shatner. No, that'll never happen. Anyway, I have made a executive decision because we have so many great cuts. Uh, we are going to take a half hour of the next segment because Avery, ha- he's like drilling, mining for all these nuggets. And you, you came up with payload after payload. Does Frank realize all the dumb stuff he says? Does he? Well, no, he, he, think, he, think, he thinks it's, it's, it's a stroke of genius. Oh, my God. Yours truly, the Frankster. 
York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Talk show host, it's like Santa Claus. He keeps giving us more and more material for Avery to bisect and dissect, chop it up from the 20 hours that he does every week, 1 to 5 in the morning. It's uh, syndicated across the nation. And uh, I got to tell you, Avery, uh, this week uh, you really uh, you took more abuse than you normally take in a month of Sundays. By having to listen to him over and over for the 20 hours of his show to get us the good nuggets, those uh, moments when he doesn't even realize that he's making fun of himself, I, I think that's probably the most critical factor in all of this, is he doesn't even understand that he is disputing what he says, making fun of himself, and doing these three-and-a-half-minute intros of his guests when his guests have to come on and tell him, no, I'm not a PhD. No, not really. I never really no. was with Bill Clinton. Uh, I am very, very pleased uh, to welcome Dr. Naomi Wolf, the author of the new book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. One of the ways that you first came on my radar screen is when you were uh, an advisor to President Clinton back in his 1996 re-election. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. That's where they first sort of, you became a household name in a lot of people's mind. You apparently met with President Clinton quite often during that 1996 re-election campaign. Most of us will never get to work that closely with the sitting president. I'm wondering if you could share what that experience was like. What was Bill Clinton like in private to deal with on a personal level? Well, I should, um, and please call me Naomi, I should, I guess, gently uh, correct the record. I actually um, was an advisor to his campaign, not to him personally. Uh, so I really only met him once or twice and never, bro. because you know, never you in private. At- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the microphone keeps falling. <laughs> 
On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. AOC, yeah, you know me. AOC, yeah, you know me. This was funny. Curtis, this is what Curtis was doing. I like this. AOC, yeah, you know me. This is clever as far as Curtis goes. Over and over and over again. AOC, yeah, you well, know you gotta me. He never stops. On the weekend, especially if he's filling in for me on a Friday, which was the case, he's got 25 hours to fill. So, I mean, a lot of that, 20 of those hours, is just repeating the same thing over and over again. You got, you get, you got two hours of original content multiplied by 20. That's what's going to happen. So, uh, I, I, I thought that was going to be much worse. That's actually pretty clever. I, and it is catchy, I must say. It, it, it's really bad, and it's not catchy, and it was horrible. And I, it, it, it actually, really, I was enraged. Well, I uh, may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to death your right to say it. As He'll defend her right to say it. As she takes shots at me. Oh, my God. And it turns out I have no idea who this woman was, a woman of no consequence. Apparently, she's home with Frank like once a week. It turns out that she is a producer of the of the Andrew Evilized Cuomo podcast that sucks. And she's got to take part of the weight of this uh, podcast that is a disaster. Nobody listens to it. He tries to monetize his podcast, and it's horrible. It's really bad. So she says to me, she's enraged because I get creative doing what I always do here at WABC. I've been here 35 years, right? Most of it at WABC. So I have decided I've made an executive decision, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery that for today we are going to extend our pillaring, uh, our all-out attack of Frank Morano for another half hour because there are so many other cuts that Avery has been able to, uh, it's like pearl diving. He's been able to bring them to the surface. And I say to myself, oh, my God, what is wrong with that lady? And I will bet you when Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo comes into the studios of WABC, the Bernard McGurk studio here that we all broadcast from on Tuesday from 4 to 5, where Rita Cosby will be questioning him and he'll be taking calls. And they've advertised it. Oh, he's going he's gonna to tell everything now. He's going to answer all the questions. He's going to be straightforward. It's not going to be fake talk radio anymore. Like we heard the first two times. Oh, my God, it was like the worst talk radio. The callers were fake. He would never address the real issues. He wants to do commentary about what everyone else is doing wrong. First, clean up your own mess. And this is the woman who's going to be coming in with him, like she did the last time, to basically, I don't know, be, uh, you know, operate the uh, the marionette. 
So uh, I've decided we are going to uh, go ahead and extend this for a half hour. And then we're going to be talking about the deep dive that my wife Nancy has done as part of the Sliwa and Sliwa demolition crew. As we say, always follow the money. Always follow the money. That's going to tell you where the billions of dollars are going for all these no-tell motels, holiday inns without expresses that are being leased and rented as we speak. The price tag is up to $5 billion. It's showing no signs of leveling out. And this is all Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who has been welcoming in the illegal aliens since August, offering them all kinds of amenities. I mean, paving the groundwork for them to come in here and not go anywhere else. And as much as he vacillates and he protests and he says, oh, you know, poor me, poor me, you know, uh, Biden is dumping it on me. He never uses the term Biden, says the federal government. It's just not going to happen. We will see. Rita Cosby has sworn to me that she will ask him the tough questions. And one of the tough questions is when he said, America has never been that great. And when he attacked ICE and called them thugs, as he did twice in a debate with Malinaro, who is now the congressman uh, of the Mid-Hudson Valley. This is when he was a Dutchess County executive running for governor on the Republican line. And he kept taunting ICE. Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service that protect us, protect our borders, were created in the aftermath of the attack on 9-11 to chase down those who were violating their visa stays and those who were sneaking in to not earn money and live the American dream, even if they were doing it illegally, but rather to take advantage of our great system, to be sex traffickers, to be drug dealers, to be gangbangers, and most importantly, bringing in the fentanyl that is killing so many of our Americans on a regular basis. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-WABC. As you uh, have not brought in your A-game this morning here, Broadway Billy, why don't we just go with what we got here and get this show on the road while you try to put it together. So we'll go back to um, Frank Morano stabbing me while I'm holding my breath. No, this ain't going to work out, is it? Why don't you just play what you got? No, still ain't going to work out. Let's uh, discard this, discard this. You sure? We're wasting a lot of time here. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. By the way, let's... I had the um, dubious misfortune of going into the restroom right after Curtis. Boy, and I've done this before, boy, oh boy, is that an experience. And look, you know, Curtis has been through a lot medically and... A lot of other things, I realize he's got a complicated situation down there. not judging it. But it is a difficult place to be in afterwards. It stinks in here. (laughs) Man, it's a bathroom. 
That's what I said when I first heard it. You think that when you go into the bathroom after Frank Morano sits on the porcelain palace, and remember, he spends a lot of time in there thinking about what he's going to talk about. Well, yeah, and plus, he's, who knows what, he, what he's taking in from the refrigerator. Right, you, you think that it don't stink? I mean, everybody stinks. Oh, come on. Petty, 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 petty. I had the um, dubious misfortune of going into the restroom right after Curtis. Boy, and I've done this before, boy, oh, boy, is that an experience. And look, you know, Curtis has been through a lot medically and a lot of other things. I realize he's got a complicated situation down there. not judging it. But it is a difficult place to be in afterwards. It stinks in here. Man. Why doesn't he just hold his breath? Man. I mean, he's too scared to tell you, like, when you actually, like, in the moment. He went away till you, till you get on the show. I'm telling you, man. And plus, we have two bathrooms. So I'm assuming he purposefully wanted to go in the bathroom that I just exited. I don't know. It's some kind of homoerotic thing with him. So something strange going on with him and Ken, uh, him and me. I don't know. It could be a midlife crisis, even though we have no idea how old Frank is. He's got that streak in his hair like Tulsi Gabbard. Do you think that was natural, or do you think he was trying to emulate her, imitate her? No, I think it was natural, but, like, he made it, his genes made it happen when he saw her. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, it was, it was like a, a blending between mine and genes. Then, speaking of bathroom, and you always got to worry about somebody who's constantly talking about people's business in the bathroom. It turns out that Frank acknowledges that he has been a spy and a snoop and monitors conversations when you're in different studios. That means you're in one studio. There is a way you could hear what's going on in another studio, but let's face it. We talked about the Marcus of Queensbury rules, you know, leave it alone. Not Frank. Curiosity killed the cat. I know I'll have to explain that one to Nancy. But boy, he basically acknowledged that he's a snoop, that he eavesdrops. There was a device, and for all I know, these guys on the other side of the glass may do the same thing. (laughs) But there was a, a thing where... I could monitor, even when the on-air talent was off-air, I could monitor what those guys were saying in their microphones, even while they were off-air. And I have to tell you, I would do it all the time because I was just so interested in what they were saying and what they were thinking and what they didn't necessarily want me to hear. And not proud of that, but had they said something compromising, I would have absolutely been, um, I would have known. About it. Or if they said something about me or other people at the station, I would have known about it. What a eavesdropper. What a snoop. That's like a, that's a Murano move right there, though. Like, I, I don't think anybody that hears this goes, "How I couldn't believe this. Like, <laughs> nobody's blown away by that move. Wow. But he gets back to the Porcelain Palace. He was sharing the bathroom with the late Bernard McGurk and his partner, Sid Rosenberg, and the guy is like, curiosity, curiosity. Wait till you hear what he had to say. Wait, wait. I remember when there was still a lot of construction here at our radio studio, he said to his partner, Sid Rosenberg, when they were using the men's room, there are these guys, these construction workers, lifting heavy things constantly. Um, and they're also demonstrating an enormous amount of expertise building things. 
And Bernie says to Sid in earshot of me, I don't know if I was including the conversation. I might have just been eavesdropping. But he says to me, he says to Sid, boy, you see those guys, those guys are really working. And Sid's, yeah, boy, those guys are really working. So what a what a what a yenta. So here's the here's the level here, <laughs> the different levels of this thing. So what bathroom are you in to where you are listening in to two guys talk and you can't tell if they're addressing you? So where are you, Frank? Uh, you're not standing right next to him or you would know. So are you in the store with, like, your feet up or something? <laughs> like, where exactly are you in the bathroom that you are hearing them talk? And you admitted that you were eavesdropping. You're hearing them talk, but you don't know if they're addressing you. Where are you, Frank? What a freak. Frank, come on. There's no other way to describe it. Well, was he, were they talking to me? He's hiding, hiding in the toilet. You know, the toilet. you know damn well Frank <laughs> had his feet up on the seat and was standing there hovering, listening to their conversation unbeknownst to them. He was standing inside a Bloomingdale bag <laughs> in the stall. <laughs> it looked like a Bloomingdale bag was just in the stall, but he's standing inside of it listening. Oh, God. And then, oh, here we go. Begging that homosexual who was dissing and dismissing me there. You know, uh, I'm a, I think, a very easy fellow to get along with. And, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody would say, as an interviewer, that I have been unfair to anyone. The only criticism I've ever gotten as an interviewer is that I'm too easy on guests. And yet, I invited your, your colleague, Andrew Cuomo, on this program, and I said I would even tape it whenever he wanted to tape and yet, they acknowledge receiving my request the second or third time, and he still has not come on this program. I see he's been on other programs. Why do you think the governor won't come on with me? I'm supposed to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got you right here cornered on my show. Why not answer it? But there's a pattern here. It's not just Cuomo. Tulsi Gabbard won't, won't appear on the show Senator Cinema, who he loves because she's polyamorous uh, and bisexual, he loves that she won't appear on his show. I think what he doesn't understand is that he needs to have somebody else booking guests for him because when he all of a sudden doesn't get a response, he's obsessed, and it's almost like he's stalking these people. But here, but here, here go another another couple levels here. Why would somebody with any kind of a name go on the same show that their employee just went on. Like, I don't understand, Frank, how, do, how how you don't see this. Like, you think Eddie Murphy, if you if you interview Eddie Murphy's gardener or something, you think Eddie Murphy's going to go on your show now? <laughs> like, you have his subordinate on your show interviewing her, grilling her. Why would Cuomo go on that show? Excellent. Excellent point. And then, yeah... Boy, they must have too much time on their hands, Rachel and Frank back at Shea Frank Morano, because they're talking about doing prison time and who would be loyal and who would cheat and who would come to visit and would they have conjugal visits. I, this is like the most ridiculous conversation I think I've ever heard of Frank Morano, who's been guilty of having many ridiculous conversations. My wife said to me, she's kind of catching up because she knows that I know him. She knows a little bit about the case, but she hasn't followed it like I followed it. She says, how long was he in prison? He says, 12 years. And she said his wife stayed with him all 12 years. And I said, absolutely. And I said, she's a model wife, a very good wife. 
you said you would want me to stay with you for 12 years while you're in prison? <laughs> I said, absolutely I would. I said, uh, and then we've discussed this before, and she had previously said, not in this particular conversation, but she had previously said that uh, she would stay with me if I went to prison, depending upon the nature of my conviction. Frank, I thought, you, but I understand. If y'all talked about it before, how come she said what she said in the beginning? I don't understand that. Who has these kinds of conversations as husband and wife? She was surprised that, that the lady stayed with the husband and that Frank would want her to stay, but they already talked about it before. You know, you know, he's probably referring to John Gotti Sr. and Victoria Gotti Sr. I, I would almost guarantee you that. But anyway, then he flips the script and he says, well, what happens if you, Rachel, get convicted of a crime and you get assigned to a prison? What am I supposed to do? But let's say you're as you are now. In the relationship status you are now, and your husband, your wife, your partner, your fiancé, whatever the case may be, your romantic partner gets sent to prison, what would you do? Would you stay married to them? Would you stay devoted to them? Or would you leave them? Or would there be some sort of a middle ground? Here we go. While that person's incarcerated, (laughs) would you, um, I don't know how to put it delicately, would you cheat on them? with other people while they were incarcerated because, after all, you didn't take a, a vow to become a nun or a priest and be celibate. You're human. You have needs. What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? What would you do if it wasn't me and it was you? Oh, God. What would you do? Now Now, now it's a conundrum. Before he was dead set on, yeah, you stand with me, Rachel. But now it's, 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 the, 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 it's, a, it's on the other foot now. And now he's like, well, he turns into Socrates. What are we going to do here? I think I, I think it's it's complicated now. I know, but what couples have these kinds of conversations other than if they were an organized crime and they're both committing crimes? <laughs> oh God! Yeah, no, you you got a point there. Yeah, think about that. You know, I think he does the he does the racket report. He's always uh, friendly with mobsters choking on their lobsters. I think he's identifying with mobsters. He's identifying with Rachel being a part of the cast, remember, of Mob Wives that was based on uh, uh, Staten Island? Remember that? Yeah, I remember it. Oh, God. And then he talks about how he would be in the courtroom if Rachel was being sentenced. I'd like to think I would stay with my wife. And, I mean, again, if she's sentenced to prison for 40 or 50 years... Am I really going to remain celibate for 40 or 50 years? I don't know. Especially (laughs) if she ends up in prison as a result of something that I've done, then I am absolutely planning on being married to her. But, uh, you know, I'm being honest here. If I'm facing a half a century of celibacy, now what's she going to do for a half a century? Maybe a drug charge? Maybe a murder? Then I don't know. I don't know what how I would react to that. I, I think we'd have to figure that out. And that's basically what she said to me. It's all up we'd in have the to kind of take that situation as it came and figure out what the what the story is. Now, hey, Frank's bringing a, Frank's going to bring a date to the sentencing. I'm telling you right now, Frank is showing up with somebody else. Yeah, I know who. All, <laughs> all during the trial, uh, when John Gotti Jr., his very dear friend, was being charged with. Uh, the kidnapping and attempted murder of me. 
and Frank was there religiously to give support to John Gotti Jr., to Victoria Gotti Sr., Victoria Gotti Jr. He was arm-in-arm with Angel, the oldest daughter. Angel is actually older than Victoria Gotti Jr., the oldest daughter of John Gotti Sr. and Victoria Gotti Sr. I mean, I thought for sure he was going to have a a tattoo on on his... uh, on his uh, bicep, it said, Angel Gotti, I love you. Well, look, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Either, either 10 days or 10 years. If you're going to cheat, you're going to cheat. You might as well just do it then. I would bet you he would show up with Angel Gotti like he did all during the four trials against John Gotti Jr., in which he slipped through the cracks on technicalities and didn't do time for my kidnapping and attempted murder, even though the shooter, Michael Iannotti, did 20 years, he's out. And Joey D'Angelo, who was part of the plot, he ended up becoming a confidential informer uh, and ended up doing a year or two in federal jail. Man, that would be the worst. And then he loves Dolly Parton, but not for the reasons that you would think. Our friend Donna uh, sends me the message that Dolly Parton is polyamorous, which I did not know. Makes me like her more now. She's polyamorous at 77 years of age. That's great. We know, we know that's right up Frank's alley. That's right up Frank, right up there with cinema and all of them. Oh, my God. That's right up Frank's alley, boy. What a freak. If you want to get on his radar, I'm telling you right now, that's how you do it. Look, I'm telling you, he can't handle polyamorous. I don't think I could handle polyamory. I have a difficult time not having one romantic partner kill me <laughs> and, you know, deal with all her emotional needs and everything she wants to do. To multiply that by two or three, forget about it. I think I'd just be, I, I mean, it'd be like a second full-time job. I, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I think it's Dolly Parton he's, he's worried about. <laughs> I don't think you can handle that. Too much woman for him. He'll teach you some tricks. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there were so many good cuts that Avery had come up with uh, where Frank Morano doesn't even understand that there's a form of self-deprecation that goes on Monday through Fridays, 1 to 5, in his syndicated program across the nation. Across the nation. He He's lampooning himself without even realizing it. And all you're doing, Avery, is you are extracting it and playing it for our audience. And they, they, they're they like getting a double belly laugh if they heard him the first time and then they hear him again. It's madness. It's Three madness. <laughs> God. Anyway, up next, we're going to get back on track. My wife, Nancy, has done some heavy lifting on four of the hotels where, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a taxpayer in New York City, you're getting ripped off. I mean, big time. These are hotels that have been in the news. The Watson, the Stewart, the Rowe Hotel, the old Milford Plaza. And, of course, the latest that's costing us $225 million for a three-year lease to house a 1,000 illegal aliens. Under the sea, da-da-da-da-da. Under the sea, down where it's wetter, (laughs) here where it's better, take it from me. Oh, God. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa.
This invasion of illegal aliens is endless. Coming across the border from Mexico into the United States and immediately saying they seek asylum. They don't have to prove Jack Diddley squat. And instead, they're offered opportunities to go wherever they want. They have choices. And nine times out of ten, the illegal aliens, especially the Venezuelans, the single able-bodied men from Venezuela who've learned how to scam the asylum system, many of whom haven't been in Venezuela in six or seven years because they had already left to Colombia, Chile, Argentina, and Brazil and gotten jobs and they're wearing designer clothes. They've got their iPhone smartphones. They got their laptops. They got their tourist luggage with rollers on the bottom. And then they're coming across the border, across the Rio Grande, and you're saying, wow, there's so much different than the other illegals who might have come through mosquito-laden jungles through Panama, the Isthmus, and then uh, the roadways, decrepit as they are, of Guatemala, Honduras, and eventually Mexico, and to the border towns. Not the Venezuelans. They fly directly into Mexico City from these areas, and then they catch connecting flights to Juarez, the connection into El Paso, Nuevo Laredo, the connection into Laredo on the Texas side, and then, of course, TJ, Tijuana, the connection uh, into the San Ysidro, uh, San Diego area. And it is so obvious. You can watch uh, hundreds and thousands of illegals just keep pouring in, many of them single, able-bodied males flying in, bust in, taking the train, the intermediaries, wherever they are, or Catholic Charities, that's the largest NGO involved in this scam, and they get money from the Biden administration through the federal government, and then they basically say, cigars, cigarettes, tipperillos, what would you prefer and how would you like to go to your city of choice? Most of them saying Nueva New York because they see on television, Univision, Telemundo, that our mayor has given them top-shelf five-star hotel locations to stay at with all the amenities that they can never afford on their own. They can never afford in their native country. And yet, yesterday alone, Saturday, a thousand illegal aliens poured into the Port Authority. That's not counting those that flew into JFK. And they were immediately being processed at the Hotel Roosevelt. And I will tell you this, uh, on my way to uh, WABC to conduct a broadcast with Anthony Weiner, he was on first two to three, his show on Saturdays in the middle. And then I joined him three to four, left versus right before Rob Astorino came on uh, 4 to 5. But uh, in the interim, I had gone to a fundraiser uh, that was put together on the west side of Chinese Americans who have been very supportive of both my candidacy for mayor and uh, just two years later, Congressman Lee Zeldin running for governor. In fact, I got the majority of the uh, Asian American vote in New York City, the first time any mayoral candidate had ever done that who wasn't a Democrat. And Congressman Lee Zeldin did likewise in his run against Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. So as I'm cutting a course to come here on the east side to the studios at WABC, it was pouring rain. I mean, I got drenched. So I stopped at the Hotel Roosevelt on 46th and Madison, which has been converted 
into a homeless shelter for the illegal aliens, and I asked to have access. I said, hey, can I go in there? No, no, you can't. I said, well, when it was a hotel, I could walk in and out. Nobody would stop me. He says, it's not a hotel now. It is a, uh, it is a shelter for what they call migrants. And I said, well, I should be able to see it's costing us, at least at this site, if reports are correct, $225 million that our city taxpayers are going to have to pay for a three-year lease. It's a, you can't break the lease even if you no longer need the space. You got to pay out on all three years. $225 million. And that's just one of 124 different no-tell, motel, holiday in without the expresses that we're leasing or renting for these illegals. I mean, look. We've got Americans, our own homegrown born Americans who are out in the streets and we're putting the illegals up in the suites of these three star and five star hotels. And that brings me to where I went after I left the front of the Hotel Roosevelt, having been denied entry. I started to walk towards WABC. As I went east, I hit Lexington. I went north and I ran into two women. African-American women, pouring rain. There was one woman who was standing up, screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering and dropping all kinds of curse words towards the Eric Adams administration. She was on fire, but screaming, hollering, and yelling. And then side by side with her was her friend, Regina Smith, who was originally from Peekskill. And uh, she wasn't screaming, hollering, and yelling, but she had a compelling story to tell. And I was able to video it. We're posting it. It's going to go viral. I don't think there's ever been video like this. Boy, when it comes to getting content, yours truly can really deliver on the content. And that just enhances all that you see, all that you hear. And ultimately, this being the most intimate form of broadcasting that has ever been devised all that you will feel. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Follow the money. Follow the money. Massive amounts of money that we, the taxpayers of New York City, are forking over to a mayor who's out of control, who is the mayor of not us. We get Ugats, we get Bubkis. He is clearly the mayor of the illegal aliens. Give you an example, and I'm going to go in depth tonight from 9 to 11 before we do the animal welfare hour with my wife Nancy from 11 to 12. But she's responsible for the deep dive on these four, four separate hotels that are going to break our bank, without a doubt. Calculating together the expenses, if they all kick in, if there are no setbacks, 
to the illegal aliens uh, invading our country and especially our city will be close to $5 billion and mounted. So first, we have the Watson Hotel. 600 rooms. It's right on 57th Street, which has been uh, called Billionaire's Row. There are a number of skyscrapers on that block that are close to 100 stories high. No wonder why they've been stories all week long in the New York Post that the island of Manhattan is sinking and it can't it can't stand to have any more skyscrapers built because it might actually uh, turn into one big sump hole. Anyway, the Watson Hotel, 600 rooms. We still haven't figured out exactly how much we're paying per room, but they're all filled with illegal aliens. You may have remembered that was the one where there was a mini rebellion where the illegal aliens, the single able-bodied men from Venezuela, saying they were not going over to the terminal for the Carnival Cruise Line in Red Hook, which was a uh, Quonset hut with a thousand beds. No separation, no privacy, but hey, our servicemen, servicewomen, oftentimes they've got to live in Quonset huts, especially in time of war. But any, the property is owned by Yellowstone Group, purchased in 2021 for $175 million as one of its biggest distress hotel deals of the post-pandemic. This property has been used for years as homeless shelters, opposed by locals and sold and vowed never to be used for that again. Well, guess what, new owner? Here comes the illegal alien invasion. Welcome to the Watson Hotel, because the sucker taxpayers in New York City are paying for it. Then there is the Stewart Hotel. Just last week, ten guys were out in the streets, all of them illegal aliens, fighting, punching each other out. They all got arrested. They were put on the daisy chain perp walk. What happened to them? Released on their own recognizance on what we call disappearance tickets, not desk appearance tickets, disappearance tickets. They're all illegals. Under the old rules, they would have been sent to Vesey Street, downtown Manhattan, or Elizabeth, where you have the jails for illegal aliens who have broken laws. Elizabeth, New Jersey, and Vesey Street. Well, these 10 were cut loose, and you know they're just going to do it again. They're going to do it again at the Stewart. The Stewart Hotel in Midtown has 611 rooms, and the city that's us, are being charged $200 a day to house them, or $3.6 million a month. My God, it's an open-ended contract. It could go on in perpetuity. The ownership appears to be two privately held real estate development and investment companies run by the Cougines, the cousins Joseph and Isaac Chetrit, both of whom were educated and graduated from the University of Tel Aviv. Then the third one, which you probably all know. In fact, Broadway Billy, see if you can find that commercial, that old commercial of the Milford Plaza used to be featured before you would watch Joe Franklin on Channel 9, the superstation at that time, WWOR, uh, which went across the nation. And you would see commercials all night long during Joe Franklin's show, before Joe Franklin's show, after Joe Franklin's show, for the Milford Plaza. Come on along, I'll take you to the lullaby of Broadway. Ballyhoo. The lullaby of Broadway. And in the center. 
Stay at the Milford Plaza Hotel with cocktail dinner and breakfast for $43 per person. Discover why we are the lullaby of Broadway. The Milford Plaza is the lullaby of Broadway. Because of the lockdown and pandemic in March of 2020, it went into bankruptcy court. It emerged. A hedge fund owned it, renamed it N.Y. Row, New York Row was on the verge of going to bankruptcy court again. The hedge fund appealed to the federal bankruptcy uh, court judge in Wilmington, Delaware, who then directed them to go to the city of New York because he said, according to uh, the city of New York Department of Homeless Services, they were doing outreach. They were looking for space to house the illegals. So right now, the uh, Rowe Hotel... The old Milford Plaza has 1,300 rooms at $170 a day. That's what we're paying for. The contract runs from mid-October 2022 to mid-April 2023. And when the contract is all said and done, housing the illegals at our expense, it's $40 million paid. And then the last hotel is the largest hotel, and it's the hotel that is uh, in the news cycle because it has been turned into a processing center and a shelter. It is the old Roosevelt Hotel, named after Teddy, although no president apparently ever stayed there since it was built uh, in the 20s, right before the Depression. The city of New York has leased for use for the illegal aliens, 1,025 rooms, which comes to about $200 a night for three years. The total cost, $225 million. We're getting pickpocketed here. The Roosevelt, as has been discussed over and over by others, is owned by the Pakistani International Airlines, which is owned by the Pakistani government. So it's a government airline. The hotel has been losing tens, sometimes hundreds of millions per year. It's always on the verge of selling, yet never does. It gets bank refinancing and then gets one of these sweetheart bailouts. For example, the highest grossing year for this Pakistani company was close to $30 million back in 2000, before the lockdown and pandemic, much before when Pakistani International Airlines, PIA for short, bought the project. This contract gives them $75 million a year, and that's phenomenal for Pakistan International Airlines. And just for everybody's information out there, when you are contracting for a whole family, you should be able to secure to the group rate discount. That is not happening. That is not happening. And the scam goes deeper than just the hotels. The facilities are now referred to as humanitarian emergency response and relief centers. My God, that's a tongue-tying acronym. Or H-E-R-R-C apostrophe S. They are more expensive to operate than normal shelters because of how quickly they had to be set up and the services they offer. They offer on-site medical screenings, counseling, and help settling up travel to other destinations. 
The mayor ordered their creation when he declared a state of emergency in October, arguing that the sudden arrival of so many people constituted an unprecedented crisis. Since this humanitarian migrant crisis began, the city has had to rapidly manage the arrival of buses from border states with virtually no coordination from the states sending them, as is true in reverse when we send uh, them overnight with just hours' notice before they arrived into Rockland, into Orange County, into Westchester County, and into far northern regions of our state. But as I was arguing with people who are outside of the Roosevelt Hotel uh, who have already received uh, a number of the illegal aliens and they were there to praise the illegal aliens, talk about illegal aliens are the future of America, and I said, absolutely, Jack Diddley Squat, not. I ended up finding two African-American women in the midst of this deluge of rain. I mean, it was a tsunami of rain. Right north of the uh, Roosevelt Hotel, one block north on Lexington, so one block away. Pretty much between uh, 47th and 46th Street, one of the storefronts that was empty. And the woman sitting down was Regina Smith. You're going to hear her now because I took exclusive video that I posted on Facebook. I tweeted out, you can get it on my Instagram. You can get it on TikTok. Nobody has this kind of footage. Regina Smith identifies herself as being from peak skill. Her friend is so emotionally disturbed in the heavy downpour of rain, she's screaming her guts out because she's basically saying, I'll boil it down, she's saying, we're American citizens, we're in the streets. Illegal aliens are being brought into the suites of major Fortune 500 hotel chains and they have everything at their beck and call. Ma'am, you're sitting here a block away in the rain from the Roosevelt Hotel. Did they offer, did Eric Adams offer you a room? You're an American in the Roosevelt Hotel. You're homeless. Yes. No, no, he didn't offer me a room, no. They, they asked me, did I want to... Uh, Go to a shelter. Other people have asked me. Right. But here you are. You could be in the Roosevelt Hotel with your own room a block away. It's pouring rain. I'm drenched. Unfortunately, you have to be out here. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Peekskill, New York. Peekskill! You know, that's where Governor Pataki was from. Oh, yeah, and he's perfectly well. He knows why I'm homeless. That's right. So he was the mayor there. He was the assemblyman, state senator. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Look, I'm going to do what I can. I lost Eric Adams as mayor, but this is a disgrace that we have Americans who are out in the street, street, living out here. This other young lady here screaming at the top of her lungs because... It's a freedom country. Freedom country. Screaming at the top of her lungs. Look at it raining out here. This is unbelievable. And down the block, they're moving in the illegal aliens as we speak. Three hots in a cot. That's why. That's right. You know him, right? It's unbelievable. Can you believe this? Yep. She has to live in the street. Yep. Unbelievable. What is wrong with this mayor? He's lost his mind. Did you join the Turkish Fairy Day today or not? Oh, man. I know. Look. 
Uh, what is your name? Regina Smith. Okay, I'm going to give you my card. I'm going to come back here. We're going to stay in touch. I got to go do the radio player. Oh, thank you. What is your name again? Regina Smith. Regina Smith from Peak Skills. Yes, I have, a, I have a little question. Why is the FBI holding my daughter hostage? Yeah. She's the one that the uh, alleged dog that they've been holding hostage for eight years. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, this they is... They are kidnapping... This is what it's all about. Look. Americans. It was said. First off, Regina Smith was sitting down on the sidewalk. The rain was just pouring. It was in buckets. Identified herself from Peekskill, which is right along the Hudson River, on your way up into Westchester before you hit Arsening, before you hit Sing Sing, the prison. It is where Governor Pataki made his bones politically. He became mayor first, then assemblyman, then state senator, and unexpectedly, a million to one odds, beat Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo and served three terms. We had no problems uh, from Albany for these three terms. Regina Smith knows him well, but as you can see towards the end of my discussion with her, she has deep emotional issues. She thinks the FBI kidnapped her daughter eight years ago. She wants help. I will be reaching out to her to help in any way I can. And her friend, you heard her in the background, she was up screaming, hollering. She's out there in the middle of the rain. You call 911, no response. You call 311, no response. Meantime, just a block away in front of the Roosevelt Hotel, in comfortable buses, temperature controlled, the illegal aliens were being brought up into the suites of the old Roosevelt Hotel, costing us about $200 a room a night. Ultimately, after three years, it's going to cost us $225 million. What an outrage. Americans born and raised here are left to language in the streets and illegal aliens are put into the suites of five-star hotels? No. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 